Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, December 18th. We are here live. It is time for Destination Health. We've got a lot lined up for today. Lauren will be joining me this morning. Also, we'll be rejoined by a special guest, Dr. William Davis, the author of Wheat Belly and Super Gut and creator of all the great yogurts we've been talking about for a couple of years, is back with us today. If you have any questions, you can jump in. We are going to try to leave some time for questions. So you want to get in early, and we will try to get to some of those if we can. 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. Dr. Davis is in the house. So let's jump right in and get started today. Dr. Davis, welcome back. Oh, thanks for for the invitation. Great to have you here. So uh, what's new and exciting since the last time we talked? What have you been working on these days? Well, you know, this uh, idea that I think we talked about, you know, that started with replacing this microbe that we've all lost, lactobacillus roteri. And then expanding that conversation by adding some other microbes to create what I call SIBO yogurt, meaning it's a collection of microbes. So, so many of us, and I, I, I was guilty of underestimating just what a big problem this is. This issue where modern people have lost healthy microbes in our GI tracts, hundreds of them. And those microbes kept, kept some of the fecal microbes at bay. It suppressed them. Uh, when you lose those healthy microbes, these fecal microbes, these are species that many of you are familiar with, like E. coli, Salmonella, and Campylobacter, which, by the way, are also the species of food poisoning. Yes. But these microbes proliferate and then ascend into the 24 feet of small intestine. So it adds up to 30 feet of unhealthy, mostly fecal species. And this is extremely inflammatory. It causes weight gain, obesity, rise in blood sugar, type 2 diabetes, and adds to risk for heart disease, uh, Alzheimer's dementia, of course, intestinal diseases, a long, long list of modern common conditions. But the conventional approach to this is to, one, ignore it, to be honest. <laughs> Most of my colleagues are a generation behind in science. They don't read the science. They talk to the sexy sales rep, right? But not that they don't look at the science, don't talk to scientists. Right. Uh, so... So they're not keeping up. They're still doing stupid things like treating high blood sugar with insulin or other drugs or treating obesity by saying things like lose weight. <laughs> Real healthy, right? <laughs> yeah. Treating blood pressure with silly agents like diuretics and beta blockers. All this nonsense. When What they should be doing is become expert in nutrition and now the microbiome. And this is a really, really big area. And what we're seeing with this, what I'm calling SIBO yogurt, is of about 40 people who've made this yogurt. Not, of course, nothing like the stuff in the store. Completely different. I regret calling it yogurt. I know. It smells like yogurt. Yeah. So far, 90% of people have normalized their SIBO. Wow. Because we have a new consumer device called AIR, A-I-R-E, and we can measure. We can measure hydrogen gas produced by microbes, and we can map out where microbes are living in the GI tract. And so far, the great majority of people, this, this is... 
so far beyond my expectations, Kevin. I, I didn't expect expect ninety percent to respond. I wasn't happy with thirty percent. Exactly. Because the best they yeah. have in conventional medicine. Mm-hmm, the best they have in conventional medicine is an antibiotic called Rifaximin or Zyfaxin. They advertise it on TV now for irritable bowel syndrome. <clears throat> well, yeah. th- that drug, very costly, um, is about 50% effective. So if we're getting something like 90% effective out of something that looks and smells like yogurt. You know, if, if I said, Kevin, we have, we have to remove your colon. We better be damn certain what we're doing, right? Yeah. But what if the solution is something as benign and familiar as yogurt, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if we look at the other approach, okay, it's 50% effective, but what about all the downsides to that approach? Well, that's right. It costs about $1,200. There's an occasional clostridium difficile infection. That is, when you take when anybody takes any antibiotics, you risk killing off too many good bacteria, and there's proliferation of a very bad one called people say C diff, and that is typically treated by with more antibiotics. It's becoming increasingly unresponsive or resistant to antibiotics, and people die of this condition from antibiotics. And so we can do this. Without antibiotics, you know, antibiotics were the source of a lot of these problems to begin with. You know, course after course of antibiotics. For most people by age 40, they've taken 30 courses of antibiotics. For every thousand children, over 1,300 prescriptions are written every year, every Uh. year for every thousand children. And so we cause this disruption in the gastrointestinal microbiome with antibiotics and other factors. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say then the solution will be another antibiotic. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So let's do it the natural way. Yeah, the and isn't it crazy? It's the opposite. We're not trying to get rid. Well, we are trying to get rid of certain strains, but not by killing them, by kind of crowding them out, right, with, with better strains. Exactly. So the, the questions I asked was, if, what if you just took a commercial off-the-shelf probiotic? For this problem, it's called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, it, it will reduce the bloating maybe, maybe reduce some of the diarrhea, but it doesn't get rid of the problem. You still have 30 feet, trillions of microbes turning over rapidly. They only live for a few hours, so there's rapid turnover and release of their byproducts. That's, what, uh, that's why you get skin rashes and brain effects and joint effects from microbes because when they die, they release some of their components. Well... If you take a commercial probiotic, it won't go away. But what if we chose species, probiotic species, with specific characteristics, species and strains that colonize the upper GI tract, the small intestine. That's where Sivoka, that's where, that's where the battle is. And produce what are called bacteriocins. These are natural antibiotics effective against the species of SIBO. So I, I chose three. I chose our friend Lactobacillus roeri. I added Lactobacillus gasseri. Like Roderite takes up resin, small bowel, produces bacteriocins, up to seven bacteriocins for gasseri, by the way. And I also added Bacillus coagulans. Um, and by the way, Bacillus coagulans makes the most tasty yogurt you've ever had. It's almost like, it's almost like whipped cream. And we co-ferment these three and for 36 hours. As you know, we do that to get really super-duper high microbial numbers, like 300 billion per half cup serving. When we do flow cytometry, that's the kind of numbers we get. And then you consume a half cup a day with some blueberries and chia seeds or whatever. 
And so far, it does take four weeks. We do it longer than conventional antibiotics. But so far, it has worked and exceeded, exceeded wow. my wildest expectations. Wow. Um, now, we'll do a clinical trial to, to confirm. Yeah. But that's down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's exciting. Are you familiar with the product uh, Trontil? I'm sorry, could you say that again? Atrontil. If memory serves me, I think it's a combination of uh, herbal products for, I believe it's an antimicrobial, isn't it? Uh, it's actually an, uh, a SIBO. SIBO, 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 everybody says it different. Ah. Um so the, the doctor is a traditional gastroenterologist that developed this. We've had him on the show for a couple of years. Uh, he came out with this product, Atrontil, and it is an all-natural product. As a gastroenterologist, he was finding that the way they were treating this problem was a problem itself. And he developed this product, and we started mm -hmm. using it with, with pretty good luck several years ago. And, of course, he keeps working on it, and he's now come out with the Atrontil Pro it's kind of like the next step up, you know, a case that's not really resolving well. But when you were talking about this yogurt, I, I remembered he's actually what he added to his original formula was three uh, strains of bacteria. That That's the new upgrade using <laughs> more bacteria in this. Um, and one of them is B, B coagulants. Interesting. Interesting. You know, we, we, we went to a phase where we, in my programs, we were using herbal antibiotics. There's two, two, two products, two commercial products that have had some validation, uh, formal clinical validation. There's a candibactin regimen and there's an FC dysbiocide regimen that have been shown to be effective and probably superior to rifaximin. So I, I, I did look into that product you're talking about, but I did not find any clinical validation. Now, you know, this is all happening pretty quickly. Perhaps yeah. he's working on that, just as I'm working on clinical validation of this three-microbe uh, uh, yogurt. Yeah, yeah, and you know, our take on this is, is supplements are great, and we'll use them if we need to, but if we can use real food instead, I, I'm always in favor of that. If we can get these kind of results, you know, introducing those strains through this yogurt, you know, super yogurt, then I'm all for that. I, I, and it's, you know, amazing how people coming for, at this from different directions, though, are coming up with the same solutions. That's, uh, that's encouraging. I've seen that also. I, I agree with you. I think that's right. We're all kind of converging a lot of our thinking. The sad thing, of course, is that uh, conventional primary care docs, gastroenterologists, uh, your friend is the exception. Most have no idea what we're talking about. Right. And yet right. they're talking to people. You, you know, there's there's a really interesting conversation emerging uh, that the oral microbes, microbes in the mouth, may be among the most important causes for colon cancer. Wow. There's a very interesting microbe called Fusobacterium nucleatum. And I'm sorry about these names. They're crazy. I names, know. Right? I know. Uh, but this microbe, <laughs> this microbe proliferates when you have bleeding gums or gingivitis or periodontitis, which is pretty common. And then, it, interestingly... Even though you swallow it, it doesn't get to the colon via swallowing. It gets to the colon via the bloodstream. And that's another issue, Kevin, that it's becoming clearer and clearer. Microbes, we used to think microbes stayed in the GI tract and didn't get out. No, they, they get out of the GI tract freely. Really? In this case, this fusib, yeah, and this fusobacterium gets into the bloodstream and seeds the colon. And the best evidence 
mouse and human is suggesting this is a very potent cause for colon cancer. Wow. If you take that microbe and put it in the colon of a normal mouse, it gets colon cancer. If you look at the, if you take out colon cancer from a human and look at it for this microbe, it's packed with this microbe. And if you have metastatic disease to the liver and elsewhere, it's filled with this microbe. You know, the real test of this premise would be, I say, hey, Kevin, would you allow us to put fuse it back to him in your gut and see if you get cancer? <laughs> Kevin says, hit the road, no way. Right? Yeah. So, so we don't have the ultimate proof, never will, right? But it's looking like oral hygiene, oral health is a major. This is also true, by the way, for dementia. There's another oral microbe called Porphyromonas gingivalis, another crazy name, that populates the brain. So really interesting. Here, here's something I've been pondering. If a woman takes a microbe, specifically Lactobacillus crispatus, which is the primary organism in, a, in the w woman's vagina, if she takes it orally, you know, Kevin, there's no connection between right. the gastrointestinal right. tract and the vagina. Right? Yeah, how did it get I there? I mean, there's, there's contiguity. Right. There's nearness in the, in the groin, the perineum. So a woman takes this microbe, Lactobacillus crispatus, it somehow colonized the vagina and, and restores a lot of aspects of vaginal health, like moisture and um, reduces discharge and odd smells and all that. But even more interestingly, crispatus will then colonize the bladder. And there's very good evidence from Loyola in Chicago that this cuts back on recurrent urinary tract infections. Big problem for ladies. Yeah. By 50%. Wow. So orally consumed, it populates the yeah. vagina and the bladder. So, and Kevin, we thought the bladder was sterile. <laughs> up, up right. Recently. Right. Yeah. So obviously these microbes are traveling around in, way, in ways we don't understand. A absolutely. This is called translocation. You know, I, now this, this science is extremely preliminary. It's my suspicion. You know, when a doctor examines your prostate gland, how does he do that? Well, he's got his finger yeah. in, your, in, your, in your butt, right? Yeah. And there, the prostate's right there. So the prostate is literally millimeters away from gut flora. You got to believe that there is, and this, this is starting to prove true, that it's, it's, it's rectal flora that seem to be a major determinant of prostate health. Wow. And so you can see a lot of these efforts at, so how do they deal with colon cancer risk? Well, they do periodic colonoscopies. Well, that's kind of stupid. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Shouldn't they be looking at the underlying cause? And of course they say other stupid things like eat more brand fiber. Which is ridiculous. You're right. Yeah. Uh, why not start to address the factors that actually cause the disease? Like fusobacterium nucleatum. So it's, it's really changing. It's changing the entire conversation on health, but sadly it takes a generation, 20 to 30 years for John Q. Primary Care to catch up. Wow. Wow. You know, the, the last time we talked, you made the statement, um, you know, that it's 1980 and, and we're all playing with Ataris. Uh, what a great analogy. <laughs> and, and since we've had that conversation, one of the things I've noticed is that I'm just seeing more and more of these really specific probiotics, products designed for specific things using probiotics. Now, are, are we getting it all exactly right? I'm sure we're not, um, but it's really interesting. I'm seeing probiotics for sleep now, and um, we're actually working with our 
provider. I've been working on a, a stress protocol for about two years. And in the beginning, it was, just, it was mostly physical stuff, you know, cold exposure, heat exposure, actually just trying to help people build stress resilience. Uh, and then we started looking at uh, some adaptogens, some mushroom adaptogens we're seeing a lot of um, improvement with. But then we started talking with our supplement provider and we're working on two adding two supplements to this protocol, and both of them really shocked me. Um, but there's a lot of clinical data, and we're seeing a lot of good results. Uh, inositol, B8, which I, I thought was just bizarre, and it doesn't even take much of that. And then hmm. a, um, a, a probiotic with three strains, two of them being um, and really... Um, the names here, I, I'm sure I'm going to butcher these. This one isn't too bad. Two of them are L planetar planetarium. Is that right? Planetarium. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, so now we're, we're talking about all these microbes for very specific issues. You know, mood. Mm -hmm. Probiotics are a work in progress. They're getting better. The, the first, what I, I call probiotic 1.0, it's pretty crude stuff. Yeah all, yeah. all they are are haphazard collections of microbes, each one having shown to have some kind of beneficial effect. One of the things that most formulators overlook is that, you know, microbes, Kevin, are just like humans. We don't live in isolation. We have yeah. partners. We have families, neighbors, coworkers, colleagues, communities. Microbes are the same way. They collaborate in what are called guilds or consortia. And so microbes... This is probably the reason why, by the way, if mom gave you a microbe, you probably have it for a lifetime, as long as it's not wiped out by antibiotics or other factors. Yeah. But if we give you a microbe in isolation as a probiotic, it only colonizes your GI tract for a few days to weeks. Well, why would that be? It's probably because you, it lacks the entire community that yeah. supports it because they collaborate. So there are some products. There's, there's one product, for instance, I know that now they factored in. Um, a collaborative effect because I know the microbiologist who formulated it, Dr. Raul Cano, 40-year academic microbiology um, uh, career at uh, Cal Poly Tech in San Luis Obispo, and he formulated something called Sugar Shift. He chose microbes that collaborate to reduce sugar because they consume glucose, fructose, and sucrose, and we gave it to 20 of our people, and they did finger stick, blood glucose, fasting glucose every morning for a month. And we saw a 9.8 milligram per deciliter drop in wow. non-diabetics, Kevin. So that's on a par with like something like metformin from microbes. Yeah. And we're also wow. seeing other beneficial effects also. So the, 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 some companies are coming out with better uh, probiotics, but there's also a lot of gimmicks coming out. Yeah. So in other words, just the probiotic markets become so competitive some people are making silly claims, like you must get spore-forming soil-based microbes, and they're the only ones that work. That is patent nonsense. Right. It's fiction. Right. But it's a sales pitch. And then there's some very smart people who made the mistake of double-encapsulating their probiotic so that it doesn't release oh. into the small bowel, but only the right. colon. Now, wait a minute. 50% of Americans have fecal microbes where they're not supposed to be in the small intestine. You want small intestinal release. Yeah. So, and there's other gimmicks also. But it's, it's getting better, thank, thankfully. And it's getting better pretty rapidly. But right now, as you point out, we have some products for specific purposes. At some point, 
you know, do you take a microbe for a skin rash? Do you take another probiotic for sleep? Take another probiotic for a right. Take another probiotic for yeah. <laughs> I get a little ridiculous after a while. So yeah. no one's put together that kind of a comprehensive way to address all of it. The closest we come, though, Kevin, the closest we come to something that works for everybody are fermented foods. Yes. And by yeah. the way, one of the most important species in fermented foods is your friend, Lactobacillus plantarum. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, since we two things, one, I uh, I got so wrapped up in talking to you, I forgot that I had uh, I had brought Lauren in, but didn't let her know. Lauren, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Kevin. Sorry good morning, Doctor Davis. <laughs> Hi, Lauren. No, this is great. You guys jumped right in, and I I actually had a had a question, but um, I can hold off on it for now if if it's it, easier hold off just one second because i want to stay on the fermented foods for something um dr davis i want to get your opinion about something this app this came about totally accidentally we are huge on fermenting foods here and um for the health benefits Mm. it's huge but for our drivers there's another big advantage you know we we have drivers who are gone weeks at a time they might have a tiny little refrigerator in their truck no freezer usually at all so and you know what food choices are like on the road. Um, it's really mm-hmm. hard to, and they can't just whip into a Whole Foods. Um, you know, so there's some challenges. So we, we've taught them how to pressure can so they can can good high quality meat, take that with them and, you know, not need refrigeration and then fermenting vegetables. Mm-hmm. They, they're shelf stable. They mm-hmm. don't need refrigeration. So we have truck drivers now pressure canning mm-hmm. and fermenting. And um, I, I got really big into gardening um, the last couple of years. I've become almost a fanatic. My neighbors are starting to call it a mini farm, not a garden. Um, so I had this <laughs> huge crop of hot peppers. I love hot peppers and I you know, make my own hot sauces. And I had like six different varieties and just a bumper crop. I had like 75 pounds of hot peppers. That wow. is really a lot. Um, so I started thinking, <laughs> what am I going to do with all this? So, you know, I'm going to make some hot sauces. I'm going to make some fermented hot sauces. And I'm looking for other ideas. And I came across this idea of fermenting things in honey. Garlic is a big one. You know, they'll just totally cover up garlic with honey and, and ferment it. And I thought, well, couldn't I do that with hot peppers? And then I noticed that this hot honey thing is kind of a craze in restaurants now. And I'm sure that garbage they're using in the restaurant you don't want to go anywhere near but I I got thinking about this so I started chopping up peppers and I'll just pack a jar with peppers and totally cover them in honey Um, raw honey it's got to be raw and you know local really good quality stuff and it, it within just a couple of days about 48 hours it pulls all of the water out of the peppers and the heat and the honey gets really thin and pourable and then you let it ferment. I mean, it, it's usable in a couple of days, but I've also let it go. I've got some stuff down there about four months now um, and just let it keep fermenting. But the, the honey loses almost all of its sweetness. It's not very sweet at all. It's got the heat uh, and it's pourable. And I, I started playing around. There's just so many ways of using this. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Something I've never done, Kevin. That is really interesting, though. As you know, the microbes, but as you, as you observe, the microbes consume the sugar and convert it to other things that are good for you. So 
I'm going to give it a try. That sounds great. It's really simple. There's no, those are the only ingredients, honey and peppers. And it happens fast. It's uh, it's a really, now I we did find out there are byproducts of that fermentation. I was putting my honey afterwards. So afterwards, you take the peppers out, you can strain them out. I actually started just putting my peppers in muslin bags and you know, submerging it in the honey, and then I just pull the bag out when it's done. You can use the peppers. They get uh, a whole new texture, and they pick up a little bit of that sweetness from the honey. So I've used the peppers and then made hot sauces out of the peppers, and you have the hot honey left over. Um, And then I was putting it in, like, the Grolsch bottles, you know, those beer glass with the flip-top cap Mm -hmm. on it, the ceramic cap. And I was sealing them and then just leaving them in the pantry. I had like six or seven different recipes going on. And I went in one day and I'm looking at the top of one and it's got this little ring right around the top. Like maybe it was crystallizing there. And as I'm looking at it and I start to open the bottle, it sounded like a 12 gauge shotgun went off. And I ended up with 16 (laughs) ounces of hot honey sprayed all over my pantry. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, none of the Those other bottles are busy. did that. Obviously, there was something still fermentable left in that one batch, and it kept fermenting. And boy, was it powerful! You know, it might be a little bit of a fungus. You know, we, we on purpose will ferment um, a fungal species called Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a very close cousin of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is the microbe they use to make sourdough bread and beer oh, okay. and, and wine. We take Boulardi because Boulardi is, is adapted to the human GI tract. You don't find it elsewhere, only in the human GI tract. And you can get this as a, a common, widely available a, a commercial product. It's called Flora Store, F-L-O-R-S-T-O-R. Um, you can get it at Walgreens, Walmart, Target. And we take one capsule of it, empty it into any volume of juice, uh, the pulpier the juice, the better, by the way. And as long as there's no preservatives in it, so no potassium sorbate, no sodium benzoate, none of that garbage. Yeah. So you empty contents of one capsule, agitate lightly, and cover, as you learned the hard way, cover very lightly. <laughs> loose. You want all that carbon dioxide <laughs> to escape. Yeah. <laughs> at 24 hours, you're going to see it bubbling like a cauldron. Wow. And then at 48 hours, we stop putting it in the refrigerator because if you let it go longer, you don't, you don't have just uh, the, the microbe and healthy metabolites. You also get alcohol. Now, you can oh, go longer okay. if you want. If you, so if you, if you ferment apple cider, say, you'll have apple wine. Yeah. Uh, or apple uh, hot. Um, hard uh, cider. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, hard cider. Yeah. After about a week or so. So we stop it at 48 hours. That cuts the sugar content in half. So there is still sugar in it. So we limit ourselves a small serving size, like no more than a quarter to a half cup at a time. But it's one of the most important things. It's it's delicious. It's a sparkling juice. Uh, I I've done mango. I've done all kinds of different wow. juices. Grape, of course, cranberry, um, and, and they're delicious. And it's probably one of the most important things you can do if you ever have to take an antibiotic. Oh, okay. So if you had a urinary tract infection or upper respiratory infection, you have to take an antibiotic. Sometimes it's unavoidable. You drink this juice maybe three four times a day. And it helps preserve the integrity of your microbiome. Nothing protects you completely, right. but it's the, it's the best thing we have to protect. And it's it's practically free because yeah, you make right. the first batch from that uh, capsule, 
And you, as, as you know, you make future batches from a little bit of a prior batch. Yeah. It's very easy, but you got, just don't cap it. Just don't cap it. Yeah. Right. It's early. <laughs> right. Have another explosion. Yeah. Yeah. We don't <laughs> want to be producing Molotov cocktails. It's kind of what, uh, I had going on there. Hey, Lauren, how do you, how do you like that tip there for people on a round of antibiotics? I love that. Can you mention one more time, Dr. Davis, what that capsule is that you're using to make this? Sure. It's, it's a Schiff product, S-C-H-I-F-F, called, uh, I'm sorry, it's actually, I, I'm getting confused. It's uh, Florastore, F-L-O-R-A, store, S-C-O-R. Got it. Okay. Wonderful. That sounds great. I, I've been I think it's like $15 do... or so. Perfect. I've been wanting to make a, uh, like a ginger, um, what is it? It's like a ginger kind of like carbonated drink, but I, I didn't know how, how I would go about it, but this sounds like the, the, the ticket really. Yeah. It'll be very carbonated. It's, it's fascinating when you look at this juice and you see it bubbling like mad. It's these microbes really go to town. Yeah. Amazing. Sounds like That's it. That's pretty neat. Hey, you know, we're, we're, talking about food. I'm a big foodie. I love to cook. One of the other things, I don't think we talked about this last time. Um, there are certain ingredients that I like to have around. I don't use them often enough. And I kept finding that, you know, I buy it. Ginger is one of them. You just mentioned ginger. You know, you buy good fresh ginger and then by the time I go to use it, it's not looking so fresh anymore. It's just gone completely. And you know, I would freeze it. I know that will work for some things. But one of the things that I've come up with, with things like ginger and garlic and hot peppers, and um, I actually turn them into a fermented paste. And then they last forever. So I'll just take ginger and I'll throw it in a jar with a, a brine to ferment it. And I'll usually chop it up and I'll let it, I'll let the ginger ferment for months, uh, six months or you know, the longer it ferments, the better it seems to get. The flavors get really complex. But then I'll just throw the brine and the, the ginger into a blender, a good, really powerful high speed, and just, you know, liquefy it into a paste. And then I stick it in the refrigerator and it lasts forever. I've got some stuff. Usually I use it all up, but I've got some stuff that's been in there a year. But I do this with hot peppers and ginger and garlic um, turmeric. You can do this with those, a lot of those really, you know, strong flavors that you might use as an ingredient. It's just hard to keep them around and keep them fresh. That's a terrific idea, Kevin. A great idea. You're a very advanced fermenter. Uh, we do a lot of, we do a lot of fermenting around here. I've fermented just about everything. You know, one thing I've not, uh, put my toe in the water with is fermenting meats yet. Me, uh, it's yeah. supposed to be very easy I, and very delicious. Have you it's heard a the... Bit scary. I know. I haven't played with that one yet either. And fish, you know, there are cultures that do a lot of fermented fish. That's really common in Asian cultures. Right. I haven't played around with that yet either. Uh, have you heard the concept of high meat? Um, I have. Yeah, people, my memory. people are taking time. meat, even like liver, cuts of liver and, and other cuts of meat. And it, there's some 
rough guidelines here, but I think they're basically just sticking it in the refrigerator and leaving it in there for long periods of time. And, and it's growing bacteria. I'm not exactly sure what it's growing. And then they're eating it and they call it high meat because sometimes they claim they're like having hallucinations as they eat this stuff. God, you know, it sounds like fungal exposure. You know? I know. Fungi, fungi are really interesting. There's thousands of species of fungi. You know, of course, when you ferment something, whether it's high meat or your peppers or your pureed ginger, you know, where'd the microbes come from, right? So they come from the surface of that food or they come from the air or your skin or some other source. And so that's why there's variation. You know, in the old days, they would ferment meat just as you say, just leave it out. <laughs> right. uh, so, you know, if you go to like rural uh, Spain or Portugal, for instance, some of these little villages, there'll be a central area where they have a piece of meat covered with a cloth. It's raw, of course. And they let it ferment for a few weeks. And anybody who wants to comes out with a knife, slices off a piece and eats it. Well, so that's fermented by microbes, either resident on the surface or in the air. Well, the problem with that, of course, is that occasionally bad microbes, right. like Staphylococcus aureus and Listeria. <laughs> so there have been rare, but rare uh, episodes of food poisoning and or actual death when they do that. So that's why when you and I buy things like soprasada or salami now, they don't rely on air or resident microbes. They st- use a starter culture with known composition. But those are really good microbes, by the way. So those are things, uh, species like Pediococcus pentasaceus, and are your friend Lactobacillus plantarum, uh, Pediococcus acetolactosi, and some others, uh, Leuconostoc mesenteres, crazy names, I know. But these are really, really healthy microbes. Interesting. Interesting. We could talk about microbes forever. I'd love it. Can we, can we touch on a couple other topics, though, I've been curious about getting your opinion on? Sure, sure, Kevin. What, uh, first off, what do you think about the... Uh, this trend in celebrities and we're seeing it all over social media now of taking these uh, drugs like Wagovi for weight loss. I think it's garbage. I think it's stupid. I think it's pointless. I think it's further exploitation of the public. The drugs don't work or they work at a huge health price. If you look at the list of medications for weight loss, that had been retracted by the FDA, approval was retracted. It's a long list. And you look at the reasons why. So remember Fen-Fen, for instance? Yeah. It was a successful weight loss drug, but it gave people aortic valve disease, which is a very serious matter. <laughs> yes. Because you have to have a new aortic <laughs> valve put in. <laughs> so that's a, another, it's a real serious complication. So, uh, several uh, agents, ephedra-like agents have been uh, retracted because they cause sudden cardiac death and uncontrollable hypertension and stroke. I mean, real shit. You know, I I just wish people like the USDA and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Service would just get the hell out of the way (laughs) and stop offering ridiculous health uh, dietary advice. If they would just shut up and let people like you and me but it's not that we have all the answers. Right. It's that right. it's clear the conventional answer is not getting anything done. You know, if 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 dietary guidelines worked, <laughs> right. you and I would just say follow dietary guidelines. But the sad the fact of the matter is dietary guidelines, whether it comes from food plate or food pyramid or the American Heart Association or the American Diabetes Association or whatever agency, 
those diets cause disease. They don't prevent disease. They right. cause disease. So the problem is, of course, we live in a world where uh, people like to point the finger and they'll never come out and say, oh, hey, Kevin, you know what? All that stuff we told you about <laughs> cutting fat and saturated fat, eating healthy whole grains and everything in moderation, uh, we were wrong. <laughs> yeah. We inadvertently contributed to the uh, nationwide, now worldwide, epidemics of obesity, type 2 diabetes, and other diseases. And we're sorry. We take it all back. It, we right. never hear that. Right. <laughs> so I, I actually find this a little ironic. They they would, they, the FDA, the, all these people making this horrible dietary advice, they still argue the whole energy balance, calories in, calories out. And, and isn't this an admission of that doesn't work? You're giving people a drug. You're not even telling them to change their energy balance. You're giving them a drug that impacts hormones and insulin because that's the real driver of obesity. Isn't it like they're finally admitting that without really admitting it? In a way, you're right. They're, they're focusing on the wrong thing. Cutting calories is misery. That just made headlines today. There's a new study suggesting that calorie restriction uh, works. It does not work. <laughs> it does work in the short. Term. Right. So you may recall there's a you may recall the TV show The Biggest Loser. Yes. Where they take these poor souls and they torture them essentially <laughs> with extreme yeah. exercise and caloric restrictions of like 1,400 calories per day. You know that calorie intake with that level of intense exercise. Is, is awful. Oh. That's why they're always crying. Right. <laughs> so those yeah. people, they did lose a lot of weight, 70 pounds, 130 pounds. Well, outside of the show, uh, a, a university group followed these people yeah. and studied them and watched virtually all of them regain all the weight. So they formally measured their metabolic rate, how fast they're burning calories. And what they found was that after Participating in the show, their metabolic rate dropped by 26%. Wow. Their calorie burn rate dropped oh. by 26%. Oh. Meaning, so these people lost all this weight. They maintained their low calorie intake and at least a moderate exercise program and regained all the weight. How scary is their that? their metabolic rate was dropped. They followed them, Kevin, for up to six years. And that reduced caloric rate of burn persisted for up to six years perhaps longer. They stopped wow. the study at six years. Uh, you know, another thing, I'm surprised this is not talked about. There have been several studies, several of them, where they took people and put them either on a low-calorie diet or a low-fat diet, as advocated by most agencies, or both, low-calorie, low-fat diet. And they did an ultrasound of the gallbladder. If you had gallstones, they'd knock you out of the study. So they chose people who didn't have gallstones and then put them on a one of these diets, low fat, low calorie, <laughs> right. or both. I know what's coming. Within four weeks, many, yep. <laughs> within four weeks, many people had gallstones. Yeah. By 12 weeks, the majority had gallstones. <sighs> because you're not, you're, not, you're not keeping your gallbladder busy. So right. It's bile, and bile crystallizes and forms mm -hmm. stones. I, I'm surprised it's not a class action suit against yeah. these stupid diet programs that cause yeah. gallstones. I've, I've lost track. A number of people said, I did such and such a program. <laughs> I won't name names. Right. And I, I got gallstones. Wow. <laughs> you know, the other thing about that show, the main trainer ended up with a heart attack and now he's a show for some cardiovascular drug. <laughs> I see him on TV pushing some cardiovascular drug now. Right. <laughs> Come on. By the way, it's almost certain. It's almost certain he has a genetic pattern called lipoprotein A. 
it's the it's a genetic pattern. I call these people perfect carnivores because they're typically very fit. They love long distance exercise, running, swimming, biking, and they typically are very good at math, particularly the male version of it. And please don't hear a sexism thing. That's yeah, right. An observation. Uh, they're they're unusually tolerant to water and food deprivation. Uh, so I, I, but there's increased cardiovascular risk. So of course, conventional thinkers say things like, well, what drug do these people need to prevent heart disease? <laughs> well, I got, <laughs> so I got thinking about this. Now, now, wait a minute. These people love long distance. They're very fit, aerobically fit. They're tolerant to deprivation. They're smart. Well, in a wild world, they would be perfect hunters, survivors. Because they can outrun their prey, they can outsmart other predators. Ah. They can go, you know, when you hunt in the wild, you don't you don't catch something within the first ten minutes. Right. You might have to chase something down for six hours. Yeah, right. right. Persistence so, hunting. So I, yes. So I see these people as having a survival advantage. But what I saw in practice, having taken care of about three hundred people with this genetic pattern, is that while these people look like Slender, fit people, right? Uh, they, the combination of wheat and grain and sugar consumption coupled with insulin resistance and now endotoxemia from bowel flora, that combination is lethal wow. to these people. So what I've been doing with this lipoprotein A is no wheat, no grains, no sugars. We use high-dose fish oil, by the way. Uh, we correct their insulin resistance, not with drugs, but addressing diet and common nutrient deficiencies like omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin D, simple stuff yeah. that uh, uh, add up together to reduce insulin resistance and inflammation. And, of course, we address bowel flora like with SIBO yogurt or something like that. And now I'm seeing these people, uh, if we track their coronary health, their coronary disease, like something using something like a CT heart scan for coronary calcium score, we're seeing them stop uh, developing heart disease. Wow. So, uh, so that's what he more than I don't know him. I, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know him personally, but he's almost guaranteed he fits that, that kind of type. That certainly sounds like it. That that's really interesting. Now, what I'm wondering is there an opposite of that type? I'm thinking that might be me. I don't handle deprivation <laughs> well, and endurance training for me is my 10 minute resistance training workout. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Well, huh. We'll have to look into that. But you can see what happens. They have two new drugs now they're trying to force on people with lipoprotein A. One of them is a biologic. It's very expensive. Oof. Uh, you know, I know if you've seen some of these headlines, they're starting to price the biologics into millions of dollars per year now. That's insanity. So there's a new drug Come for on. Oh. $3.1 million. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pharma! Pharma is a cancer on society. It is. That is just awful. Well, let let's let's continue on with that theme. How about the latest recommendations for children with obesity? Uh, absurd, absolutely absurd. You know, when you do something like a gastric bypass, you resign that person to a life of disaster, health disaster. You know, we, you know, we talked about that SIBO issue where you have fecal microbes colonizing the upper GI tract. Well, when you do gastric bypass, you lose the advantage of stomach acid. Stomach acid is important. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Oral microbes, 
from descending, it keeps fecal microbes from ascending. When you lose stomach acid, so, so gastric bypass is a setup for SIBO. And that's why these people, they lose weight in the first two years. They typically regain it after two years. Of course, the surgeon got paid off well. And then they have all these health problems. They regain weight, diabetes, increased potential for dementia, heart disease, other gastrointestinal problems. In other words, when you do something as stupid as bariatric surgery, this artificial band-aid for, for including children, you resign that person to a lifetime of health disasters. It's very wrong what they're saying. You know, that's, that's awful when we do it to a 30- or a 40-year-old, but we're, we're going to do this now to 13-year-olds. It, it's, it's a tragedy. So if you step back for a moment, think what they're doing. Official guidelines. Let's give you a diet that guarantees weight loss. I'm sorry, weight gain. <laughs> yeah. We give you a diet that guarantees weight gain. Then we come to your rescue with ridiculous pharmaceuticals or bariatric procedures. And this is how you also ensure you're monetizing your activities. You, you cause the problem, you try to solve it with something that pays very well. Kevin, you, you know this, this is so wrong. It, and yet there are people like you and me who, who know you can do far better using natural methods. I, yeah, it, it's so frustrating and it seems to be getting worse. They're, they're, the pharma companies are so good at this. You know, I, I saw some drug the other day well it's been around for a couple years now they run the commercials but when they first started running this i'm thinking wait a minute you gave somebody a drug for some sort of mental illness and now you're going to give them another drug simply to counteract the side effects of the first drug they created a drug (laughs) for this uh cardiff dyskinesia you're, the drug yeah. you gave me caused this, and now you got it. You have to give me another one. Yep, yep. Very common. It's done all the time. You know, here, here's a hopeful observation. A German group did this two studies. I'm shocked they got this through their institutional review board. But they took, you know, when you have SIBO and the micro, trillions of microbes living and dying very rapidly. When they die, the most toxic thing they release is something called endotoxin or lipopolysaccharide endotoxin. So we say LPS endotoxin. That's the thing that enters your bloodstream. It has it exports all these effects from your microbiome to the skin and brain and heart and liver, et cetera. This explains a whole bunch of human disease, by the way. Well, this German group took that LPS endotoxin and they took normal non-depressed people and injected it which is very chancy because if you miscalculate by a little bit, you actually kill somebody. Oh, so they great. very minuscule amounts <laughs> into these people. And within three hours, they were clinically depressed. Wow. And they did MRIs into their brains and it showed all the hallmarks in the brain for depression. In other words, it's suggesting that the mic- microbiome is a major contributor to, and this is by the way, not via serotonin. This Via via microbial breakdown products, the endotoxin. Have you uh, now? You got me on another topic. Um, have you seen the book Brain Energy? No. You might want to check this one out. Um, just came out maybe a month or so ago. Um, 
I mm-hmm. haven't even completely finished it yet, which is unusual for me. It's not one of the easier books to read, but the concept of it was really interesting for me. You know, we, we do one-on-ones and we help people with their health. And the, the one issue we haven't always been all that confident of, you, you get somebody and you're working with them on, you know, whatever issues they have, um, usually blood sugar control and digestion, all the usual stuff. And they're taking some sort of mental health medication. SSRIs are big. It's just an area we're just not very mm-hmm. confident in. You know, it, it seems to me like most people who are taking these things are still suffering all the same problems they started taking them for in the beginning. And yet they're terrified to stop these things. And this book, Brain mm-hmm. Energy, I think Chris Palmer might be the author. Um, he makes the argument, he makes a really good argument that these brain issues are no different than anything else we deal with. They are simply metabolic. There's nothing magical about, mm-hmm. you know, these neurotransmitters or any of this, that all of these brain issues we deal with are simply metabolic, like heart disease and kidney disease and liver disease and all the other things we deal with. Mm-hmm. That was a really interesting sense. concept. As you pointed out, a lot of us who are thinking outside the box are starting to converge on a lot of the same conclusions. Yeah. Yeah, and and his conclusion is: Look, you you can treat all these things the same way you're you're dealing with these other issues by addressing blood sugar and metabolism. And we certainly know the microbiome plays a big part of this. Uh, but doesn't that microbiome really come back to the poor diet? I mean, isn't that what destroyed our microbiome primarily? The poor diet, and then all the over sanitizing, which we haven't talked about. Yeah, the overuse of antibiotics, use of preservatives that are antimicrobial in food, but also in your gut. And then all the other garbage they add to foods, like emulsifying agents, things that keep foods mixed, like ice cream. Ice cream is, you know, there's nothing wrong with the fat in ice cream. Everyone thinks that they're the fat. No, the fat is the healthiest part of ice cream. Right. It's the polysorbate 80. It's the polysorbate 80, carboxymethylcellulose, carrageenan. And other things they add to keep that ice cream mixed. So all of us have done this, right? You let your ice cream thaw a little bit too much, and then you refreeze it, and it separates the solids and ice. And so they add all these additives to keep it mixed. Well, those additives screw up your mucus barrier in your GI tract and screw up your microbiome in a big way, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, Another great irony. You know the uh, polyethylene glycol they use as a prep for your colonoscopy to prevent colon cancer? Yeah. Massively screws up your your gut. I, I'll bet <laughs> so it's in preparation for your procedure. Yeah. They screw it, up your microbiome. Isn't that basically antifreeze? Yeah, exactly what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. Oh boy! Speaking of ice cream, I, you know, I got looking. I. I like I said, I'm a big foodie, so I make my own ice cream because it was one of the things I really didn't want to give up. So I wanted to come up with a version of ice cream that I thought was at least less unhealthy was the goal I was shooting for. Turns mm-hmm. out when I got to looking at the recipe, I'm like, I could call this health food. It's got like 12 pastured mm-hmm. eggs in it and coconut milk and a little bit of, of raw honey. And I started looking at it. I'm like, that's not dessert. That's health food. 
Yeah, yeah. And you can, by the way, you make a good point. You can convert almost any conventional food. Let's say you miss pizza or you miss blueberry muffins or you miss uh, chocolate chip cookies or whatever. You can almost always recreate it using alternative healthy ingredients. And as you say, you can turn something like ice cream into something that is uh, healthful or at least neutral. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bunch of eggs and coconut milk. How bad could it be? Great. What right? about Eat all the eggs fruit want, right? frozen yogurt? Yes. Yes. I've done it, that. Yeah. Chocolate flavored, berry flavored. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. By the way, that's an example. Rotary is a major player in the so-called gut-brain axis. Mm-hmm. So you may recall that one of the effects of Rotary is to provoke release of oxytocin. Right. Um, so that's only been shown in mice. We're, we're in the process of trying to uh, prove it in humans. But I'm, I'm convinced it works because all of us eating the yogurt get all these oxytocin, <laughs> right. oxytocin-like effects. Compassion, empathy, intensity of affection, uh, generosity, acceptance of other people's opinions. Couldn't the so, world use you know, a big dose of that right now? <laughs> so at a time of record, you know, even pre-pandemic, record social isolation, right. divorce, record suicide. Even before the pandemic, there was a surge in suicide of 35% between 2015, I'm sorry, between 2005 and 2015. Um, So this is a big problem. And what I'm seeing is, I'm not suggesting that the loss of Roy is the sole cause, but I think it's a player in it. It's a a contributor. Because I'm seeing, as you, I think as you've seen in your audience, people who restore this microbe are better people. They're nicer, they're more accepting, they're more generous, and they're a bit happier. Yes, yeah. Good stuff. Sounds great. I have so many things on my notes here. When I, I you wrote a really good article recently on, uh, and the headline caught me um, because it seemed like such an odd headline. It was something along the lines of, "When do we not want more absorption?" And I thought, well, that's odd. Would there be a time? It was a really interesting <laughs> article. You know, when I see people agonizing over making things get absorbed. My favorite example is uh, curcumin yeah. and turmeric. So curcumin, we know um, uh, if you take curcumin and you have knee arthritis, it reduces knee arthritis pain. If you're tracking C-reactive protein, that measure of inflammation, it drops C-reactive protein. So we know with good science, curcumin works. But we also know that if you take 100 milligrams of curcumin, you poop out over 99 milligrams. <laughs> So how did it actually exert these effects? Yeah. So, so various companies and scientists have done all kinds of crazy things, add piperine, bioperine, nanoparticle emulsions, all kinds of stuff to force absorption. And you can increase the absorption, though no one has yet shown that there's an increase in efficacy. But we right. also know that curcumin has very potent gut effects. It increases the thickness of the mucus barrier, increases the intestinal immune response, and it also has some antimicrobial, antibacterial, and antifungal effects. So I think the science is telling us that we want curcumin to stay in the GI tract. We don't want it to be absorbed because all those <laughs> benefits are probably the microbiome and the intestinal barrier. It's true for berberine. It's true for a bunch of other things. 
Um, Burberry and I, I want to come back to. That was really interesting. Isn't this also true? Isn't this what you're finding with a lot of these specialized microbes that I think you talked about this a little bit, that they're they're not going to colonize for any length of time. They're just going to kind of move through. And if we go to look for them later, they might be gone completely. But that doesn't mean we didn't get a benefit from them, right? You know, the best example, Kevin, is the work done by the husband-wife team at Stanford, Erica and Justin Sonnenberg. They did a very important study about two years ago where they gave uh, their participants either very frequent fermented foods like kimchi and sauerkraut and yogurt and kefirs, all that stuff, versus people who up their intake of fibers, as prebiotic fibers that nourish microbes. And hands down, it was the fermented food group that... uh, generated tremendous improvements in their microbiome. The curious thing, though, is the microbes in fermented food, like those ones we mentioned before, like the leuconostoc mesenteroides and pediococcus, they don't take up residence. As you point out, they just pass through. But somehow, no one knows how, their presence, even though transient, somehow changed the microbiome composition. And there was the reappearance of numerous lost species. Now, how in the world does that happen? Right. So the Sonnenbergs speculate, they speculate that perhaps they were present in low numbers and the fermented food somehow caused them to proliferate, or maybe it made their, their uh, microbiomes more receptive to environmental acquisition of these microbes. So no one really knows. You know, as you know, a pile of rags, dirty rags, don't make rats. Right. <laughs> right. So you can't create life out of blue. <laughs> yeah. So somehow the passage, though temporary, of these uh, fermenting microbes is, uh, once again, one of the most important things people can do to restore their intestinal microbiome. Very interesting. You had mentioned with with the absorption, uh, and I didn't know this, and we use berberine quite a bit. You know, I've made the comment, it seems like one of those molecules, it's almost too good to be true. I mean, there, there are quite a few benefits from berberine and seemingly very few side effects, if any, but I, I wasn't aware that this was one of those things that isn't absorbed well. So here, here's a speculation for you. So if berberine, like, like curcumin, is pooped out, most of it, uh, yet you have a, an effect like reduction in blood sugar or reduction in blood pressure, well, is it because you had SIBO or at least colonic dysbiosis and berberine helped correct it? And that's what you're really dealing with. So that, I, I think that's going to prove true. It's a bit of a tricky thing to prove, but I think, that, I think that's where we're going. Got it. Yeah, really is. Um, Lauren, anything you want to jump in with? I don't want to dominate everything here. Yes. Yes, I don't know where to go. Should I go SIBO? Should I go back to the bacteria? Um, question about the bacteria. So you mentioned like the super bacteria yogurt and the three different bacteria that you put in this yogurt. I know that l is the one that we really focus on, but are those three different strains of bacteria found in that BioGaia um, supplement that you use to start the yogurt? No. So uh, I, I, we should tell your listeners that when we play with microbes, and I wish this wasn't true, but it is true. We have to be very mindful 
not just species, but also strain. So the easiest example is E. coli. Everyone knows about E. coli, right? I've got E. coli. You've got E. coli. Listeners all have E. coli. What if you ate lettuce contaminated by cow manure with E. coli? Well, you can die of that E. coli, right? You hear this in the news every so often. So same yeah. species, E. coli, different strain. So strain can sometimes even make the different, a life and death difference. So we have to pay attention to strain. So, for instance, there's a strain of uh, lactobacillus rhamnosus called GG strain. And the GG strain has been shown that if you, have, if you take an antibiotic and you have diarrhea, the GG strain abbreviates the diarrhea and reduces the occurrence of C. diff. Well, if you, go, if you buy a probiotic, most of the time it's not the GG strain. So if you, don't, if you buy a probiotic that doesn't have the GG designation, it probably does not help you with antibiotic diarrhea. And wh- why would a company not use GG? Because often the company that commercializes something that invalidates the science has to recoup their costs. So they charge more to make the microbe. And so many companies, for the sake of uh, uh, keeping their price low, will use the non-GG strain. So same thing here with those microbes. So the microbes that work in, in this SIBO yogurt is the lactobacillus gasteri, BNR17, the lactobacillus ruteri, the 6475 strain, and the bacillus coagulans. I'm sorry about this, but GBI36086. <laughs> I don't make these numbers up. Those are the three that work. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't other strains that don't work. Uh, I, I'm, it doesn't mean that other strains don't work. We just don't know that for a fact. The science yeah. is best for those three. Now, when you buy the BioGaia Rotary as the gastrus, the tablet made for babies, it's got mm-hmm. two strains, the ATCC6475 and the DSM17938. It's probably the 6475 that's doing all the work. So, okay. uh, But you can't separate those two, so it's harmless to cultivate both of them. So the, but the gastroi, I'm sorry, but the gastrus is only the source of the rotori. Okay, got it. So how? So the hassle is to the hassle is to source those three, three microbes. Okay. Um, and I, I list where to get them in the Supergut book uh, or on my okay. drdavisinternethealth.com website. Uh, so that's the hassle. You got to get from three different sources. I, I'm hoping somebody in future combines them, but no one's done that yet. You know what we've done, Doctor Davis, to kind of help out our tribe. We actually bought all of those in bulk. You know, it, it's kind of crazy. You only need one capsule wow. sometimes for these, and may, or maybe you need six of them, or you know, whatever it might be. But we realize we're making all this yogurt. We're buying, you know, a bunch of these. We might only be using a couple of them. And I thought, well, this is wasteful so we went out and bought them in bulk and we put together a little packet of all of them you know you get just enough of each one so you can do your first starter batch and i i don't know if we're still doing it i think we are i think we just give it away if somebody orders something from our store we just throw it in the order wow great that's great yeah, it, it, and it wasn't so much the cost. I mean, the, the cost does add, add up if you're doing several of these. It was more the hassle. I mean, it was just really kind of confusing to keep them all, you yeah. know, try to tell people, no, it was this one and you got to go here and no, don't get that. That's the wrong one. And we were spending so much time on it. I said, why don't we yeah. just get a bunch of it, put little packets together. We'll just ship them out. Right, right. Uh, That's a great service, Kevin. Uh, real quick, I want to be uh, mindful of your time. We just passed the hour. Are you okay for a little bit more? 
Sure. Okay. Um, where do I want to go? Um, you've written some really good stuff about this. Sometimes I hesitate to even talk about this, but I, I think we should. It's such an important topic, and there's been so much confusion around it. What? How would you sum up your thoughts on, on cholesterol right now and cholesterol testing? You know, Kevin, cholesterol testing should have been thrown away decades ago. It's an outdated, awful concept based on the most primitive of science that was generated in the 1950s and 1960s, just as they crafted the low-fat diet idea back then. And so cholesterol is not the cause for heart disease. It's meant to be a, a, an indirect marker for the particles in the bloodstream that cause heart disease. So, it, you know, of all those, uh, the four values in a conventional cholesterol panel, lipid panel, the triglyceride value is very helpful, by the way. The HDL is kind of helpful. Useless is total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol. <laughs> LDL cholesterol is a calculated value. It's calculated by using an equation called the Friedewald calculation, developed by uh, Dr. William Friedewald at the National Institutes of Health around 1960. What they were trying to do is, so this is 1960. They would take the clear part of blood called plasma. They'd spin it down in a centrifuge. And you'd see layers. The low density layer would float to the top, very low density above it, and then uh, a high density at the bottom. Well, there, each layer is filled with different particles, lipoproteins, fat-carrying proteins. Well, how do you, in 1960, how do you count those particles? Well, really tough to do. Even <laughs> yeah. today, it's tough to do. <laughs> but very, real. So they developed some very crude methods. They said, well, okay. All these particles share some characteristics. Why don't we just measure one component of these particles? It could have been triglycerides. It could have been the protein that's shared by many of them called apoprotein B. There's some other proteins. They chose cholesterol because it was easy to measure. And they measured the very low density at the top. They measured the high density at the bottom. They didn't want to measure the middle layer, the low density. And so they developed a crude calculation to calculate the cholesterol in that low density fraction, that low density layer. That was the Friedewald calculation. It's notoriously inaccurate. Notoriously. I liken it to a gas, the gas gauge in your car. Imagine you look at your gas gauge and it says full, but your tank's really empty. <laughs> or it says empty and it's really full. Well, that's stupid. It's useless. <laughs> right. That's what cholesterol testing is. Oh, great. It's this ridiculous outdate, but it makes a ton of money. That's the key. Doesn't that's why Big Pharma has invested hundreds of millions, uh, a lot of money in validate. You know, if, if Ford says, we did a, a study, we compared Ford cars to Toyota and GM and et cetera. And Ford proved to be the best car of all. He said, well, who paid for that? So you well, Ford did. You <laughs> would say, it's garbage. But that is 90% of the evidence supporting these drugs. Oh. Paid for by the likes of Pfizer, GlaxoSmithKline, etc. Merck. Hmm. You know, the, the real tragedy, though, Kevin, is, is that everybody's still focused on the absurd. Cutting fat. Yeah. Statin cholesterol drugs reducing cholesterol. The real tragedy here is no one's paying attention to the real causes right. of heart disease. That's why 
Over 80 million Americans take statin drugs now, and there's been zero impact on the occurrence <laughs> of heart disease. Did, now, dirty little secret. Heart disease number one moneymaker for hospitals. That's why while no one's preventing heart disease, that is in the conventional world, yet they're adding another $80 million wing onto the hospital wow. for cardiovascular procedures. Yep, that, that's the way of the world. Ah, unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, this might be a little bit of a sensitive topic, but I, I, I am shocked at something that just, re I don't know why I keep being shocked at stuff like this, but I am. Um, I, I don't know if it was the CDC or it's one of those alphabet soups from the government just, and they did this really, really quietly. You know, we, we saw the, the football player collapse on the field the other day. So you got a lot of people talking about it. We, we've been tracking a lot of these incidents of, you know, unexplained sudden death for quite a while now. We've been keeping a list of them, but that one happened on national TV. We had the, one of the reporters at the world cup. So people were talking about this more. Um, there was a pilot that took off out of uh, Chicago. I think they were flying to Columbus short flight and he collapsed in the seat. Um, the FAA just recently changed the guidelines on the pilot's physical. They, um, I might not get the technical details on this right. You'll probably understand what I mean. I, I don't have it right in front of me. They, they expanded the range of an acceptable, a, a certain measurement in an EKG. They actually expanded it. And it now allows less healthy pilots to fly. Why would they do that? <laughs> I think I'm guessing I'm not an expert in this area, but I, I would, I would speculate that the lack of uh, pilots, as you know, there's a shortage of pilots. Yeah. So it could be that, you know, the, the flip side of this though, is if you really want to have an impact on athletes, sudden cardiac death and athletes or pilots or whatever group you have, it's actually quite easy to screen those people at modest cost. But it does not involve any, well, EKG is part of it, but you can do other, other very easy non-radiation based tests to see if they have some variant that puts them at risk. Cause there's a, a list of things that cause sudden cardiac death and you can screen people for this. But of course, unfortunately in conventional circles, what they do is they look for a defect that they can either operate on <laughs> or give you a drug yeah, for, geez. not just address in a natural way. I, I was just shocked by this because it seems like to me, the whole point of the FAA, they have some of the most strict guidelines on almost everything they do. And that's a good thing. We have a really safe air travel system in this country. And I, I hope we could keep it that way. I think this is the first time I went back and I've looked at changes they've made in the past. They have never made a change that I can find that would make things less safe. Their changes and their, their guidelines have, have always been geared towards making air travel as safe as possible. I'm just shocked that they did this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it really would be very easy. It, it would, there'd be a little bit of expense involved, but it, it is a very important. You could screen. Screening for heart disease or sudden cardiac death risk with an EKG is kind of like you're going to buy a car. Or, and the, and the, the seller says, hey, I can't, I'm not going to let you look under the hood or look at the mileage, but you can look at the tires. <laughs> In other words, 
that's not the full look <laughs> into risk. Yeah, you can uncover some potential risk for, for sudden cardiac death on an EKG, but there's a lot of other things you, you have not looked at if all you look at is an EKG. Yeah. I, but whole other yeah, I, I love your analogies, by the way. Um, one of the things I want to make sure we get to before we let you go, uh, I am a member on your website. You have got a ton of resources. The article I just mentioned was written recently. You've got great blog posts. You've got recipes. You've got it's so much stuff. I don't even you know, know how we would cover it all. What's the best way for somebody to get involved with you and what you do? You know, it depends on where people are in their in their lives and how comfortable they are and how much they want to understand. So I have several entry points. If somebody just wants their hand held, <laughs> that is, we say, do this, do this. <laughs> then I still have my Wheat Belly 10-Day Grain Detox Facebook page. So it requires a small fee for the because I have to pay my staff, as we all do. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, uh, and we support you through it. We have monthly... 10 day challenges where me and my assistant, April Duval are there and she, April was terrific. She practically uh, posts a, a, a tent right there <laughs> and she's there all the time answering yeah. questions and helping people, giving them cheat sheets and that kind of stuff. Um, if you just want to know that if, if people understand why we say these things, why, why is modern wheat the most destructive thing ever created in the laboratory? Um, well, that's a good place to start would be the Wheat Belly Revised and Expanded Edition. That gives you the rationale and the science behind it. If people have already done that, a lot of people say, oh, I've done that. I'm wheat and grain-free. I take vitamin D and omega-3 fats. I've, I've addressed all the nutrient deficiencies that are unique to modern life, not the diet, but the life. Um, but I want to go farther in my gut health, or I have some unexplained problems, and they're not going away, that, then the Super Gut book or my website, Dr. Davis infinitehealth.com, as you point out, uh, that has the blog, over 2,000 articles. It's got a very busy discussion forum. We have, I think, something like 170,000 posts on there. It's a lot. Wow, yeah. And then we also, there's a membership uh, inner circle where, um, like tonight, uh, I'm going to have a live uh, two-way Zoom with typically 80-plus people, and we talk about all these kinds of things, heart disease, uh, lactobacillus rotarized, super gut yogurt, all these kinds of things, uh, and try to help people succeed. Because as you know, Kevin, sadly, the healthcare system has nothing to do with health. They do not provide health. They provide pharmaceuticals and procedures to generate revenue for healthcare insiders. So you have to get your health by your own efforts and efforts like yours. I want to, uh, you know, you kind of went through, I'd love the way you do that too. You really do a great job of meeting people where they are. And I would encourage most of our listeners, um, I have the Inner Circle membership. I think that one is is excellent. You know, a lot of our listeners have got the diet under control. We're working on lifestyle issues, kind of looking for that next, you know, next development, which is what I get a lot from your site. So, I, I would encourage most of our members to look at that uh, inner circle membership. Just so many great resources there. Uh, th- thanks, Kevin. Thank you. I really like Good that. Good to hear. Um, Lauren, before we, uh, before we wrap this up, anything you've got? No, I'm, I'm just excited. I personally haven't made the over yet, but I definitely look forward to doing that here soon. I'm going to order a 
to me because I think that's probably an easy, safest way to, to do it because um, it keeps track of the temperature and whatnot. And so I'm excited to do that. Excellent. I'll keep you guys posted. Excellent. You know, Lauren sounds like a young woman. There's so much to talk about in women's health. Uh, especially if you're of childbearing age. I, I'm, I'm a new grandpa. Uh, oh, congratulations. My was born eight months ago. Yes, congratulations. Well, um, uh, my daughter-in-law has no shortage of resources. She comes from a well-to-do family, and yet she, and she, she gets the red carpet rolled out when she goes to the doctor. Yeah. And she got the crappiest advice you could possibly conceive of. Because I'm asking them, did they tell you about this? Did they tell you about this? All the things that a woman can do, for instance to reduce the likelihood of a, of a miscarriage or reduce the likelihood of premature labor. You know, if a woman delivers a baby at 31 weeks, that child, that person is going to be impaired for a lifetime. Impaired neurological development, impaired psychological development, impaired immunity. So trying to avoid premature labor, and there are things a woman can do. And there's things you can do to make your baby healthier from a microbiome standpoint and other things yet it's not being talked about. So that's a topic maybe for future. Yeah, yeah, I'd love oh, to talk great. about that. That would be fantastic. All right, uh, Dr. Davis, we, we could keep you all day. I absolutely love this. Again, I want to encourage people, go to the website. There are so many good resources there. Go over there and get started. Um, Dr. Davis, thanks so much for your time. We, we would love to get you back again. Happy to do so. Fantastic. Thanks, thanks Lauren. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Ah, uh, what a what a great guest, Lauren. Oh my goodness, he is. He just has so much information, and the fact that he remembers all of these bacterial, I know, you know, names <laughs> of the strains. <laughs> How did I, you do that? I, I can't know. even pronounce them. <laughs> I can't either. I sit there, you know, and I read a lot, I, and I sit there and I struggle with these words. I'm like, "How the hell do you say that?" <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> he says it with confidence and he pulls out of the air. I'm just so I know. impressed. You know, the other thing I love about it is he's so excited about it. I know. The passion is, is evident. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. He's so enthusiastic. So um, what's new and exciting in your world? What's been going on? What's been going on? I've honestly just been really reading up more about this whole yogurt making thing. And everyone keeps asking me if I have a sous vide. I can't believe I don't have one yet. <laughs> it's so silly with all the different things you can do with them, including making yogurt. Um, it, so I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm in the market. It's hard to find the right one. Uh, oh, shoot. What's the name of the one I have? I, I absolutely love it. I have two of them. I have one that I bought years ago that still works. Uh, it's kind of big and bulky and doesn't have some of the features. The new one, I'm pretty sure it's made by um, Breville. Breville's like my favorite now for kitchen appliances. I actually love the stuff that Breville makes. This doesn't say Breville on it, but I'm pretty sure it's made by Breville. It's real. It's white. It's a okay. tower kind of really, really skinny. It's small. Um, it runs from an app, um, really high quality. You can, you know, get down to the 10th of a degree on it and it's got a nice wide range. Oh, um, and I, it, 
you can keep it on and working for for a couple days because to do this yoga properly, it's like 30-something hours, isn't it? Yeah, it's 36, some are 30. Um, I have done meat in it. I, I've done ribs for 48 hours. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'll let... I'll let baby back ribs go 48 hours on a really low temperature. Awesome. Yeah. And you know, what kind of bags are you using for that? I, I buy silicon bags. I, I, I won't, you okay. know, yeah, I don't shrink wrap or, you know, vacuum pack in plastic. I, I do buy silicon bags and they're reusable. Okay. So they make great. So they do make silicone bags that are large it, enough to do. Yep, like they make them in all kinds of sizes, okay. and yeah. Now my ribs, I usually have to cut down into like maybe six bones to get them in, mm-hmm. which is no big deal. I can imagine. Yeah, and then I just might no, use you know multiple bags. Um, I'm gonna go look up that, see if I can find that model for you because it, you know, I've looked at a bunch of them. And it is here. It is. Um, it will come up There's if you. So many out there. Yeah, if you, it does come up as Breville. You know, nowhere on it does it say Breville, okay. the one I have. Um, but if you search for Breville sous vide, it'll come up. You'll see it. It's, um, like I said, it's a really thin tower, round tower kind of thing. It's white. Um, I love mine, okay. though. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it really. It that, uh, oh, they, uh, when you're on Amazon, what I would search for is first search for the Breville and then um, search sous vide containers. The company that I really like is mm-hmm. called Every, E-V-E-R-I-E. So they make big plastic okay. containers and then they have insulating blankets for them, kind of like stretchy neoprene and you, so it holds in the heat much better. And then it's got a neoprene lid with a cutout for the sous vide. So it, it really holds oh. the heat in nice so the sous vide machine doesn't have to work so hard. Oh, great. And then you could get your silicon Wonderful. bags there as well. So you could get it all in one shot and you'd be ready to go. Oh, great. And then if you, so how do you do your yogurt if you're not doing it with the sous vide? No, I do mine in the sous vide. That's absolutely the best way to do it. You do? Yeah. Yeah, hands okay, down, that's, that's the thought. best way. Okay. You know, right. I have several other yeah, ways I could thing. do it. I have I have two ovens that have really low temperatures mm-hmm. that I could um, use. Um, I've got a yogurt maker that I could use that I can customize. You, you do it in little containers. But by far, especially when you're making big batches, sous vide is amazing. I mean, I can get six quarts in my sous vide container. Wow. Okay. That definitely sounds like the way to go. Yeah. I mean, you can do a lot of yogurt all at once and it's, it's really precise. Uh, I was going to talk about something. What was it? Oh, I know. I was going to go look for this. I, you know, I, I, I watch drug commercials as painful as it is. Mm -hmm. I pay attention to them and, um, it, there's a new strategy by these pharmaceutical companies. So there's a commercial right now. And one of the channels that I was kind of binge watching the other day, I, I really took it easy over the weekend. 
um, and I kind of binged watch a bunch of TV. And I am not exaggerating. I probably watched this commercial 50 times in one day. They are running this thing like crazy. And it starts off with uh, a woman standing out on the street like she's a reporter. And she actually, the the first line just makes me crazy. It's so stupid. Um, She says, hey there, I'm I'm the heat on the street. What the hell does that mean? Uh, Just makes me crazy, probably because I had to hear it so many times. And then she starts asking women, do you know where hot flashes come from? And the first woman says, yes, the depths of hell. Uh, And then she says, well, no, what if I told you they come from your hypothalamus, the part of your brain that controls temperature? And the women are like, oh, really? I didn't know that. And they're making this big deal. Okay, so what? Now that you know it comes from your hypothalamus, what? so what? Well, then they send you to a website. That's all this is. They talk about the, you know, hot flashes are so horrible and... You know, here's this website you can go to, and that's that's all they really talk about, and your hypothalamus. I, I haven't been to the website yet. I just haven't had time. I am 100% positive when you get to that website, it's promoting a specific drug. I'm positive of it. I haven't been there yet, but, you know, they they you, you can kind of see it coming uh, in the commercial that, You know, because she says, no, look, this is a real medical condition. We should talk about this. So, you know, as soon as they've called it a medical condition, it's because they have a drug for it. Yeah, exactly. It's just, just unbelievable. They're getting clever. Yeah, it's just... I just wonder, I, I, when is it going to end? It's like they just keep cranking out more and more drugs and people just keep taking them. I know. I when read we a... We were talking about SSRIs. Oh. And I, you know, you started mentioning SSRIs and how many people are taking them. Well, that's, that's just the beginning. Because yeah. usually if someone's on one, right. they're on multiple. Right. It's like, well, I have a question. When you were first prescribed one, and you realized it wasn't working and you went back to your doctor, what did he tell you he, that, that now you need an additional one? Did you ask him, well, shouldn't I get off this one since it's not working? I, that would be but a no good question to ask, although it wouldn't do any good because the doctor's answer, I can promise you, I know what it is. The doctor's answer is no, okay. they work together. Mm. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've been talking a lot about Twitter lately. I've been spending a lot of time on Twitter because there is a lot of really good information again on Twitter. I found a lot of really good mm-hmm. doctors that I can follow that I would never be able to do anywhere else. I've really been spending a lot of time. I, at, at some point, that's going to have to slow down. I've got a lot of other things I need to be working on. But right now, it's really timely. There's a lot of really good information coming out. Um, a, a lot of doctors and a, a lot of people that a lot of people that have been vaccine injured that have started groups. I'm shocked at how many of those there are. Um, but I, I, one of the doctors that I was following, um, he posted, I think it might've been this morning. Uh, I want to go back and follow up on this. He said, does anybody know of any, any research, any resource anywhere for 
issues with people on multiple drugs. He does some work in a, um, a senior care facility, and he actually made the claim that he has to deal with patients that are on 20 to 25 drugs. Wow. Can you imagine? I mean, and no, I cannot. What the hell <laughs> is that doing to somebody's people. body? Well, I know they have to filter that out. Oh. They can't. Your body doesn't just take on these drugs and, do, you know, and they're doing miraculous things for you. It has to filter those out of your system. You know, the other crazy thing about this, we have drugs and the pharmaceutical companies and the doctors will admit that we have a drug and we know it will do this, like maybe it will take away or cover up this symptom, but we have no idea how it does it. We have drugs, plenty of drugs like that on the market. We know that they do something and we can, we can measure what they do, but we don't know how or why it happened. That's just one In drug. In my opinion, those that, that shouldn't go to market until exactly. they know exactly what it's doing. Right. Right. But they, that, that we've had drugs like that on the market for years. That's just one drug. Now, what about the interactions between two drugs? And now we're, we yeah, have people exactly. taking 20 or 25. That's criminal. I agree. Talk about interactions. Oh. My grandmother yesterday went to the hospital because apparently she has the flu and they gave they called her doctor her cardiologist, and he told her to take Robitussin. Well, guess what? She lost consciousness and had to be rushed to the ER because it interfered with one of her other medications that he has her on. Uh, the it, doctor is the one that told her to take it. Isn't that their job to know? You know, we exactly. I, I, I get a little freaked out. I had somebody on the phone the other day who was pregnant. We're talking about different things. And every time she'd ask about a supplement, I would have to say, I don't try to memorize which one of these supplements we need to be careful of during pregnancy. There's too many of them. I don't. So I always go mm -hmm. check each time. If I'm dealing with somebody who's pregnant, mm -hmm. I will not recommend any supplement. Even if I'm positive, I know it in my head. I always go check. Yeah, I. that's a good practice. You should keep that up. Uh, yeah, how could a wow. doctor make a mistake like that? I know, literally sent her to the hospital. And then he was saying, oh, we'll just let her go. Don't worry about, you know, because she's super dehydrated. And he's like, <sighs> you know, they were waiting to take a urine, you know, test to like, you know, test her urine to make sure everything looks good there. He's like, oh, no, no need for that just send her home when, you know, my family was like, well, no, no, we're just going to, you know, do this, wait for her to go so we can do this last test. It turns out, thank goodness they did that because she has a serious UTI. Unbelievable. Sign her out of the hospital. This guy, in my opinion, I mean, I, we keep saying she should switch doctors, but she has it in her head that he's the doctor for her. Oh. So there's nothing we can do. Even after oh, sending her to the hospital, causing yeah, her, not sending her for a good that. reason, causing her to have to go to the hospital. Can you believe it? This is what's ingrained even in my family's mind. <laughs> it's so frustrating.
Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You know, uh, speaking of Twitter, the other thing that uh, I'm using it for, there are, and I follow a lot of them, probably a couple hundred now. Um, there's also this theme that I'm, I'm kind of following people who are recovering vegans now using things like the carnivore diet uh, to improve their health. Imagine that. Imagine people who absolutely would not eat animal products of any kind. Not even, not even if we weren't killing the animal. Like vegans don't eat eggs because it came from an animal. And they think we're exploiting the animal to get the egg or whatever. And, and in many cases we are. But people who won't... It, you know, I used to wonder when you look at supplements they would say vegetarian capsule. I'd be like, what the hell is that? Yeah. That, that always confused. Then it dawned on me, oh, many capsules aren't vegetarian. They're made from gelatin and gelatin comes from animals. You know, Jello comes exactly. from animals. So, but they're that <laughs> particular about this that they would seek out supplements that have vegetarian capsules. I mean, that's how critical they are about this. Imagine somebody like that now eating a carnivore diet. There are so many of them. The stories are incredible. So many. Yeah, and you hear them say, when I was a vegan, I had an auto, two autoimmune conditions. My hair was falling out. My skin was horrible. I was weak. I was, and it finally dawned on me, maybe these problems are actually caused by my diet. And they start eating carnivore, which is just incredible. And things improve in days. And then they are hooked. And then they become, you know, almost zealots about this stuff. But what I, what I, I started looking for, and I still haven't found any, I haven't found a single person who has left a keto, carnivore, paleo diet to become a vegan. No. I can't find any. <laughs> I don't think you will. <laughs> but it's it's will. shocking how many of the people who are interested in carnivore, keto, paleo have been either vegan or vegetarian. And I was. I've talked about it. Two or three years. A little more, depending on how you measure it. Well, At one point, I added some fish back in. Yeah. And um, so I, I've been through that. And I had the exact same experience. The longer I was vegetarian, the worse my health was. And the more weight I gained. And the longer I'm carnivore, the healthier I get. I mean, it, it couldn't be a more clear distinction. And we see a lot of it, but I don't see it happening the other way at all. No, I, I completely agree with you. you know, I mean, I, most of the, the people that are very health conscious that I follow, at some point, you're right. They were all practicing vegetarianism or veganism to some degree. And they all were sick after years of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a clear pattern. that it, it would almost seem to me like you could, you know, put together a research project where you gathered all of, you know, the data from people who have been vegan and vegetarian, switched to a, a more carnivore keto approach, and then try to find people who have done the opposite. It would seem like that alone would be enough to prove which way really works. Mm -hmm. I know. 
I've threatened, and you know, there are some practitioners out there that have done things like this, the, the fit to fat to fit guy. Um, you know, they were really fit eating a good, healthy carnivore, keto diet, whatever they were eating. Then they actually go back to the standard American diet and they showed mm-hmm. everything that happened. And then they switched back again and showed the results. That's powerful. You know, I, I've been tempted to say, you know, I, I'm just going to go eat vegan for two months and, and measure everything and watch what happens. I just can't do it. I just cannot bring myself to do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I, it's, I, you know, I think, come on, it's not going to be that bad. It's two months, but I, I just, I, I, I'm so grateful for where my health is right now that I just don't want to do anything to screw it up. That's how I feel. I, you know, I completely agree. That's not worth it. Remember that guy that did, he did, I don't remember how long he went on McDonald's food. It, it, it wasn't was long. I think it was only like 30 or 60 days. That was uh, Morgan Spurlock. <laughs> oh, you do recall. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. That one made me ill to watch that. That was disgusting. It was awful. I mean, it was just awful. But Horrible. And I've seen some other people do similar things, and, you know, they measure it. Within days, all of your biomarkers start to get worse. Ooh. Within within just days. days, Wow. Days, the biomarkers start to get worse. Blood pressure goes up. Blood sugar goes up. Heart rate. Every Everything we can measure. HRV goes down. Everything we can measure starts moving within days. Oh, says it all. It yeah. Says it all. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, but it, it's, wow. um, it's kind of interesting watching um, the vegans on Twitter. Uh, I follow a bunch of them. It's actually kind of funny. I harass <laughs> them every now and then, too, just for the fun of it. Um, they don't <laughs> handle it well. You can tell that vegans don't have very, very good mental health. They, they can't take a joke or sarcasm or they're just angry. They seem very, very angry for some they reason. They are. I feel the same. I don't know why. I don't understand they, it. They, they're never at peace. I know. They need a little more oxytocin. That's what's going on. Yeah, we should inoculate everyone with some extra oxytocin. I know. We, so that bacteria. <laughs> yeah, we, we got to send them a little Rudy tooty. Definitely. All right. You love the taste of you love the taste of it. You eat that every day, don't you? Uh, you know, I go in spurts. I'm not actually eating it right now because I had so many other things going on. The hot honey project, trying to fin- finish the stress protocol, the conference, yeah. the sauna project. I'm mm-hmm. working on that. Um, I, I kind of got behind on the yogurt, so I, I'm I'm on an off cycle for the yogurt right now. You know, the other thing I, I try to do um, when I am testing something, I do try to isolate it as much as possible. So that's why I that's a good idea. you'll hear me say I'm on no supplements right now. Because I, I'm trying to mm-hmm. eliminate as many variables and isolate whatever it is I'm working on. So I will stop doing things even though I know they're good for me because I don't want to mess up the results of what I might be testing right now. Yeah, that's a good call. But I do love the yogurt, especially when you make it with half and half 
the A2 half and half, it's just incredible. It's so thick and creamy and rich and yeah, it's really good stuff. So I am looking forward to when I finish up some of the testing I'm doing right now, I can get back to that. Yeah, and I'll be curious to hear how you feel when you start it back up again. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it's I, I can almost predict it. I've started and stopped a couple times. I, I will say the first thing I noticed that changes is mood. And, and right now, see, that it would be interesting because right now um, – my moods are fantastic. I mean, everything I'm doing on the stress protocol right now and the new supplements and the adaptogens, and um, I've seen really incredible results. So I'm wondering this time, I'm not sure what the yogurt would be able to do. But again, that's why I stopped it. I don't want to be that to be the reason, you know, that, that my moods were improving yeah. or changing. So I eliminated that. Um, I, I really think that the strongest part of what I'm doing right now on the stress protocol, the, the thing that's really improving moods and, um, those kind of things, um, I, I really think that's the Rishi, the adaptogens. I, it, it's, I haven't done anything yeah. else as consistently through this time. Now I just started adding the, uh, the inositol and the, um, the new um, probiotic we're working on. I just started adding those less than a week, maybe about a week ago now. Uh, but the adaptogens I've been doing since we had Danielle on that show, when she created the protocol for me, I am just blown away by how powerful this is. That's so cool. I love hearing that. And like I said, I've heard really great feedback thus far from different people I've worked with. And I've been recommending them a lot more. Yeah, I, I am too. And, you know, with, with Danielle, she was able to get really precise with, with me because she understands this stuff so much. You know, she had, well, you know, mm -hmm. this much of Reishi, but we're going to add in, you know, this much holy basil. And, and I'm sure it, that helps and it. That's part of why it works so well. But I'm also finding that the shotgun approach works. You can't overdo adaptogens. So uh, let's just pile a bunch of them on in the beginning. They seem to work. You know, the only downside to that approach is, is cost. Um, if cost is an issue, you, you know, you might want to be a little more careful. But we just brought, oh, by the way, perfect timing to, uh, to talk about that because I'm pretty sure I have a note here from Lisa. Um, yes, all of the new Four Sigmatic products are in, just happened this morning. They're in, everything's done. They are all now available in the store. Um, so let me just go through these real quick. We have the cacao. So that's basically a hot chocolate in a packet. And you can either get the chill, which is the reishi, or we have a perform. I actually take both of them. Sometimes I'll put some of that, the Perform hot chocolate, which is, it's like really good for brain clarity. Um, I'll put that in my coffee in the morning. We'll just dump a packet of it right into my Ooh. coffee. And yeah, it's really good. Um, we have the, the chocolate. Now, I, I will tell you that there's not enough adaptogens in the chocolate to make it like therapeutic. If all you did was eat the chocolate, I kind of doubt that you'd notice much of anything. But if you're already taking adaptogens, then 
the amount you get in the chocolate is just adding to that. Um, so we mm-hmm. do have, we do still have the chocolate this time of year. We can't get it in the summer. Um, we have three coffees in now, actual coffees, like ground coffee. I think one of them is whole bean. No, maybe not. Maybe we just got the, the, uh, the ground coffee. Uh, in. Yeah, I think they're all ground. Yeah. yeah. Now these are coffee. So you're going to make coffee from this, just ground coffee. Um, there is a decaf with Rishi. And that's the one I'm really recommending for anybody who's dealing with excess stress. Get off the caffeine, take a break from it. Um, Lisa's doing it right now, and she's shocked at how much better just that one change made her feel. Just switching from our normal coffee in the morning, she's been doing the the decaf with Rishi. And last week, we wow. just we were fighting. We could not break her stress no matter what we did. She was stressed while she was sleeping. Mm-hmm. She would wake up and her body battery would be five. And she would have had nine hours of sleep. Wow. Wow. And her body battery wouldn't recover That's because rough. she had this stress level that we couldn't break. It finally broke. And that was really, I do have her doing a little bit of the physical stress protocol. We're kind of easing our way into that one, but we made that change with the coffee. Um, And then I do the cacao at night. So if you're dealing with stress, focus on the Rishi products first. They they usually call those chill. Um, We do have instant coffee. That's another way of getting these adaptogens in. So we have multiple ways of doing it. We have the hot chocolate. We have the coffee itself. We have instant coffee. And they also now make functional creamers. These things are pretty incredible. And Mm -hmm. they're not dairy-based. They're coconut-based. So it's like a coconut powder, coconut cream that makes it creamy. And then they put in the, the functional mushrooms and some other things. They taste incredible. So you can add the functional creamer to either your coffee or your cacao. Put a little of this creamer in the cacao, makes it even better. Uh, We also have elixirs, and we have the elixirs for chill, which again is the reishi. If you're dealing with stress, this is reishi on steroids. This is the highest dose of reishi you can get in the elixir, and it's a powder, and you can mix it into your coffee or your cacao. So now you can add even more reishi in um, with the elixirs. Uh, We have a new chai latte mix in a packet that's really, really good. And that also has reishi in it. Uh, And we have a mushroom blend that's for immune system. So these are all the new products that uh, I brought in after working on all these recipes and testing all the functional drinks over the last year and all of that stuff is now in the store right now. It's great because, for instance, I had a discovery call yesterday. Everything looked so on point with diet and digestion and all, you know, the foundations. But the stress level and the sleep were really, really suffering. And I mean, even everything from he works outdoors. I mean, so talk about, you know, being in the sunlight in right, the early morning right. and, you know, thinking your circadian rhythm, grounding, being in nature, all that stuff was, you know, there's only so much that you can do. So I said, I, I think that he should try several of these products throughout the day. Yes. I told him, you know, I, I recommended like the coffee in the morning 
and then in, he all he does drink, however, an afternoon coffee almost every day around 2 p.m. I said, as much as you think that's not doing any harm to you, let's try switching that to one of the cacao products. Yeah. So that he can have like a cocoa instead. Great recommendation. And so I, I recommended, yeah, just three different, you know, products throughout the day to really get those adaptogens in the system. And I'm really excited to, to hear how it goes because I really believe this is going to be the key to helping him with the stress and getting proper sleep. Yeah, you know, the the last round of testing that I'm, I'm kind of finishing up now, I, I've really kind of set aside the physical stress protocols. I'm doing them maybe once mm -hmm. a week um, just so I don't completely get out of the habit of it and have to go back to dealing with the cold water again. And so I, I I'm staying, you know, kind of acclimated to them without doing it much. Cause I don't want those to interfere with the results. Two really interesting yeah. things that have happened. And, and one of them is definitely the Rishi. Um, one of the things that I was dealing with was whether I had good sleep or bad sleep didn't really seem to matter. Sometimes the better sleep I got, the worse this problem was. Um, I, I know this sounds bizarre, but I just feel like I have too much energy. I, I, I can't relax. You know, I, I can't just sit still. I, even reading is becoming more difficult because I was feeling restless all the time. You know, and, and it, you could make huh. that sound like it's a good thing. Like instead of reading, I would get up and go do something physical, you know, go out and work on the garden or clean the garage or just because I, I just I was not comfortable sitting still. It was just really restless, yeah. this restless energy that has disappeared. And it didn't happen overnight. It, it, you know, I, I don't know. We'd have to go back and look. It may have been what almost two months since we've had Danielle on, hasn't it been? Since she gave me that original protocol. Yeah. So this is yes, happening over right. time. But I, I even said on Sunday for a lot of reasons, I was doing some weird biohacking stuff. And um, I, I was just tired. I just didn't really want to do anything. And I thought, I'm just going to really lay around today and not do much of anything. And what shocked me was how comfortable I was doing it. I mean, I literally just laid on the couch no TV, no radio, no book, nothing. I just laid on the couch and thought, and I just was there. And I was I didn't move uh -huh. a muscle. I didn't feel like I, you know, was restless and trying to get, I, I just, I was just comfortable. And that, that, I haven't experienced that in a long time. It, it, I, I've said this before. It's almost like when I got really healthy in the way that I eat now, it generates so much energy. That that I just get this mm -hmm. restless energy and it, it, it's not comfortable. You know, it's productive. I can get a lot of stuff done, but I, it was nice to be able to relax and actually feel comfortable doing absolutely nothing. And that that's a change. The other. Yeah. The other thing that I'm working on on this protocol, and this is going to be like an add on because. This requires a device, and the device is fairly expensive. I mean, it's it's I, we're talking like seven hundred dollars, seven to eight hundred dollars, um, and and we may end up with this device in our store. I'm working with the company now, but I realize that's out of reach for a lot of people. I mean, I, I get it, but 
one of the things I'm experiencing, and this is a, a device I found um, down at this last conference that I was at, so it's fairly new, but the results that I've received mm-hmm. have happened so fast and there's nothing else that would account for it. I mean, I've accounted for what the Rishi has been doing. It's a headset kind of thing. Um, it actually has a, like, they, they look like sunglasses kind of. They're attached to the headset and they come down in front of your eyes or you can push them up. Um, and it's using light mm. and sound. So the, the thing that comes down in front of your eyes, when you use this headset, you, you keep your eyes closed, but it's shooting light at your eyes. It's shooting light into your ears through the ear cups itself. And then they use these really special audio frequencies and rhythms. And there, there are even times, there's like 1,800 different programs this headset can run. I, all kinds of different things. If you're working on stress or sleep or motivation or whatever, there's all different programs. Some of the programs, and this is weird in the beginning, you're hearing one voice saying one thing in one ear and a totally different person saying something totally different in the other ear. Wow. And it's designed and it's, 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 there's a lot of science behind this, but it actually kind of merges the two hemispheres of your brain. You know, we have the left brain and the right brain. This actually is designed to make them work together better. But in the beginning, it is really bizarre. And they, they even say, look, what, what the words we're saying aren't important. You can tune out from this. Your subconscious is picking up all this anyway. So you don't have to try to listen to both because it would make you crazy anyway. So I'm testing this device and I'm doing some other biohacking things that have just destroyed my sleep again. You know how I had my sleep fixed and I was getting, you know, seven and eight yes. hours a night. I've destroyed it again. Um, somewhat on no. purpose. Yeah, I did. Um, I'm back down to about three and a half or four hours most nights. Um but here's what's really interesting. If I go back historically and look at all my sleep results, when my sleep is poor, I, you know, I've found things that work a little bit and I've been through this so many times, but when my sleep is poor, clearly the first part of sleep I lose is deep. I lose deep sleep. Like I, I will get none or I'll get, you know, 10 minutes or 30 minutes, which just isn't enough. This device, this headset has a program for deep sleep and I've been running it for four nights in a row. Last night I did not have a good night of sleep. There's, there's nothing. Well, there's one thing about my sleep that was actually excellent. Even though I had a horrible night, I got less than four hours. I was awake for over three and a half hours of the time I was in bed. That's how bad a night of sleep it was. But I had an hour and a half After of deep death. sleep. Wow. Yeah. An hour and a half. How long were you in bed? What's that? How long, how long were you in bed? Uh, let me go look. It was quite a while. I mean, part of it was I was actually on the couch earlier and I took a nap. But that's also when I did the headset thing. Go back and look and see mm-hmm. what the true numbers were. All right. So, 
sleep last night. Here are the numbers. Um, oh, hold on. Okay. I had a total. So I was in bed about eight and a half hours. Three hours and five minutes of that I was awake. That's how bad it was. And most of that was in the beginning of the night. But I had an hour and 30 minutes of deep sleep. That's, that's what I get on my absolute best nights when everything is perfect and I've, I've got my sleep dialed in as best as I can get it. An hour and a half is like max for me. I, I doubt that I've ever seen more than that. I've never seen it on a night when I get bad sleep. And now all of a sudden, using this device and running this deep sleep program at night, I get an hour and a half of deep sleep even on a night when I had horrible sleep. Wow. Okay. There you go. The other pattern that I'm tracking um, on the Garmin watch, the stress level. So you can look down and see your instant stress and then it tracks it throughout the day. So you can look back and see when was I stressed? When wasn't we've talked about there's patterns where you can actually be stressed while you're sleeping. My typical pattern, no matter what happened at night, Sometimes I might have a really good night where my stress was nice and low. Other times I might have nights where my stress was high. It didn't seem to matter. Once I woke up and went on the air, then I would have a pretty clear pattern. You know, the, the stress mm-hmm. chart is like zero to 100. Zero to 25 is considered rest. If you can keep your stress level under 25, your body, back, body battery actually builds up even during the day when you're awake. If it goes over 25... You know, 25 to 50, we call medium or no, we call that low, actually 25 to 50. That will deplete your body battery. Then you move up 50 to 75 is medium. 75 to 100 is high. If you're in that 75 to 100 range, your body battery will drop like crazy. You won't even make it till noon. Um, My typical pattern when I would start the show is my average stress level during the show was probably 40 to 50. So uh, I'm still in the low range, but I'm depleting my body battery slowly at that point. And that was a really clear pattern. And then you would see spikes up to 75. And it's probably when I, you know, get excited about something or debate somebody, you could see those patterns all of a sudden, just, just out of the blue, um, Within the last three weeks, this pattern started, and it's been very consistent. Throughout, I wake up, I do my research, I start the show. My stress during the show almost never goes above 25 anymore. Wow. Yeah, it just stays crazy low throughout the whole show. Hmm. Interesting. Very yeah, interesting. That it, it, it's what we want. I guess I, I, I shouldn't be surprised that it's happening, but because that's what we're shooting for. But I guess I am kind of surprised. I didn't really know that this was going to work that well. I mean, if I look right now, yeah, I have um, rest is the lowest level of stress. That means you stayed under 25. 
So if I look at today, this starts at midnight. If I look at my stress today, I had seven hours where I was under 25 the whole time. I had one hour and 19 minutes when I was in low stress. I had three minutes in medium and two minutes in high. And that's a, a clear pattern change from just a couple weeks ago. Very neat. And you think this all has to do with this new, I don't really, it's a head piece, it's a head piece, so the, a headset? The, the deep sleep, I think I can contribute to the headset. Yeah, it's a headset. You hear the music and the sound, okay. and, but it's got that eye thing. I That I, I attribute to the deep sleep, and that's the only program I'm really running on it right now is deep sleep. And I'm seeing improvement in just days. I mean, it's pretty incredible. I think the, okay. the, the idea of my stress staying low, no matter what I'm doing, even though it, what will run my stress level up high and drop my body battery is physical exertion. And part yeah, of that, I think, okay. is because I haven't been doing the physical protocols. So, you know, that's what strengthens that. So I believe what's happening is uh, I'm strengthening my kind of mental resilience to stress, not physical right now. I think I'm my, you know, when I'm doing the show, there's nothing real physical about this. Any stress I would encounter would have to be mental stress. So I think what's happening mm -hmm. is this is another result of the two months or so of the adaptogens. That, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It must be the adaptogen. Yeah, I think it is. Wow. I, I mean, I've done the physical stress protocol for two months straight and didn't get these kind of results from that. I got results, but they were different. But this is the first time I've seen a result like this. And the only thing that's really different is I've been taking the adaptogens for about two months. Oh, cool. So is this maybe one of the first cases of me being able to say, no, maybe you should reach for the supplement first. Mm. I know. We don't say that ever really about anything, but I, I'm kind of thinking I now, I um, one of the struggles I've faced and I, I, part of why this is taking me so long to get through this is that even with the Garmin watch, and measuring everything and really focusing on this, I have actually still been able to overdo the physical stress protocol and it sets me back a little bit. And I have to keep trying to balance it out. Should I do it today? Well, no, my body battery's too low. Maybe I should skip it today. So I've been struggling with this. It works. It absolutely works, but you can overdo it. And so I got to try to find that balance. And now what I'm seeing is, well, may, what, what if we start them with the adaptogens first? What if the adaptogens truly are building stress resilience? And I, I think they are. And, and they should. The science says they do. I guess it's just hard for me to believe that, mm -hmm. that a supplement alone could be that powerful. And honestly, it, it, is this really a supplement? Isn't this more like just another whole food? I mean, that's all reishi is. It's just a mushroom. Yeah. This is exactly. really kind of a whole food protocol. With the, with the mushroom adaptogens. Yeah, but 
It, it, it's, I, I, I've never really seen anything like it when it comes to stress. I'm kind of blown away by these results. I am too. And it's not just you, but I'm, I'm happy you are doing it as well because I know for a fact that you're pretty consistent with things, you know, and you are obviously doing like a true test on yourself. So the results, you know, you can't deny. I really can't. And I can't attribute them to, you know, I'm pretty proud of this whole physical stress protocol I've worked out and it works. It has a ton of health benefits, but it wasn't really making an impact on this one area. How stressed am I all day long as I, I have to deal with, you know, my day? How stressful is my day and how bad is it affecting me? And the physical protocol was helping a lot of things. It was, you know, lowering that stress level during sleep. And, you know, there, there's a ton of benefits, but I wasn't noticing a big change in how my body was reacting to stress throughout the day. And now I am. And that in, in two years of all the different things I've tested, this is the first time I've gotten this particular result. Well, I guess it just goes to show that there's something to it. Yeah, kind of exciting. What do you say we take some phone calls? All right, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's go to Illinois. Randy, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Tim. What's on your mind uh, today? I got a couple questions. I got a couple questions there. Uh, one has to do with a hernia I was diagnosed with. Okay. Oh. Uh, they want to operate on it, and I, I was just wondering uh, what did, you thought about that. Did they tell you what type of hernia? Is it hiatal? No, it's uh, down in the lower groin. I think I got it from like straining or something, overdone it a little bit, and it's not popped up. And it's been several months since that happened, but uh, I finally just decided to go see what they thought about it. I, I do believe that the the down there lower in the groin, there are some hernias that chiropractors are really good at kind of manipulating and fixing. I don't think this is one of them, though. I, I think this may be one of the hernias that does require surgery. Okay. Well, that's he wanted to put a mesh in. He said two small incisions or three small incisions, one through the belly button and two on the side, put in a, a mesh. Now, I... I, I would I would tell you that if I were in this situation, if, if for some reason, you know, I had a hernia and the recommendation was to operate on it, um, I probably would reach out to my some of my functional medicine doctor friends and ask them for a second opinion, I think. Or I, I might actually just go pay one uh, for a consultation. I haven't done enough research on on all hernias. Like I said, there are some that uh, chiropractors are known for being able to manipulate, but I, I don't know enough about this. So if I were in this situation, I would probably still seek out a functional medicine doctor for a second opinion. Okay. But I believe this is one of All them right. that, that might require surgery. Now, there's still a lot we can help with because surgery means, you know, trauma to the body. Surgery means inflammation and surgery means antibiotics. So it's really, really important to double down on nutrition and, and fermented foods and the yogurt and everything else we can do to kind of counteract 
all the damage that's going to come from the surgery itself and the antibiotics. So we would, you know, we might do an anti-inflammatory protocol. We might, you know, be taking 10 and 10 zyme a day, um, you know, for a week or so after the surgery, Uh, probably two probiotics, uh, one spore based and as many fermented foods as you could eat. Okay. It's also, well, tell me about your diet. I didn't ask, but tell me about your diet. Uh, I try to eat clean. I I, uh, don't eat very much sugar, and I just eat meat. Okay. uh, So one of the the things I would recommend, and it's similar to what I do when I'm, you know, when I really want to perform my best or I have a speaking engagement or a conference or um, the week before, you know, I talked about what you should do after the probiotics, lots of fermented foods, anti-inflammatories the week before I, I would really make an attempt to eat a hundred percent carnivore before I went in. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I would get really, really strict about the diet for that week prior to going in. I, I think it does make a difference. Okay. All right. Anything else uh, we can help you I with? I got another question. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, I got some. Uh, I was also uh, diagnosed with some tendonitis in my shoulder, right shoulder and left elbow. And uh, it gave me uh, a shot in each one. And uh, Cortisone? It seemed like it might, yeah, made the shoulder worse. And it's, that's been a couple of weeks ago. And the, uh, uh, the elbow's. It got a little bit better. It's not completely, but it had been hurting for, I got it bumped probably several months ago. And it just didn't seem to ever, right on the muscle there. So. It didn't seem to get any better in the shoulder. So is this some sort of occupational, you know, repetitive movement kind of thing? Is there something in your life? No, no. Okay. So we don't know why you've got this? No, I, I think uh, uh, the only thing I remember on my shoulder is just passing some football or something and throat, you know, kind of yeah. pain. Now, but, uh, you know, we, we there are times where we have occupations that the movement is so repetitive that it can do damage to joints and tendons and ligaments and muscles, and um, that's ongoing. Now, if we don't have something like that, and it doesn't sound like you do, then when we have this pain, this almost chronic pain, what that's telling me, we still have unresolved inflammation in the body. This isn't something that you're injuring over and over and over, and that's why it hurts. It's just, it's, you just have inflammation that's not going away. And, and that shouldn't be like that. We might want to, you know, I might recommend you do a C-reactive protein test. You can do those in the mail. Um, that'll give us a, an indication of what the inflammation levels are. Uh, but we would want to figure out why you still have this unresolved inflammation and deal with it. You know, to deal with the pain, you might want to try Intenzyme Forte. You're going to have to take like 10 or 12 a day. And it sounds like a lot, but it's just a nutrient. There, there's no 
real negative side effects or anything, and it's pretty good at controlling pain um, without using things like cortisone and, you know, NSAIDs and stuff that's going to wipe out your gut microbiome. So in the short run, we may want to use the Intenzyme for the pain, but we also want to figure out why you still have that. Yeah. That's what I'd like to figure out. Yeah, it it doesn't sound like there is any kind of repetitive motion that's injuring it, so it's something that hasn't healed, and we want to go in and find out why not. Yeah, because there's no repetitive motion. You're right about that. It's just just there and just staying with me, you know? Um, Here's something else, and, and, you know, going carnivore eliminates this. That there is a very good chance that what's causing the pain are oxalate crystals. Okay. So we, we had uh, Sally Norton on. She wrote the book, um, what, Toxic Superfoods. Is that the title, Lauren? That's one of her titles, yes. That's her new book. I think that it's out now. Yeah. Uh, we we interviewed her a month or so ago, and the book wasn't even out yet. It's out now. I think it's been out for two weeks now. Um, and she's been hitting the circuit. She was with Dr. Mercola the other day, did a great interview. Um, this could very well be an oxalate issue. Okay. So we... we is that just a supplement? Uh, no, actually, with oxalates, what we want to do is minimize the oxalates in our diet, but not get rid of them completely. She, uh, Sally, and I just had a great conversation with Sally yesterday. Um, we planned we're doing a three-part mini-series on this, uh, where we're trying to work out the schedule now. Uh, so we're going to have a lot more coming on this. But um, if you eliminate all of the oxalates in your diet and you were to go true carnivore with no oxalates, it can actually make the problem worse. Your body will start oxalate dumping, and that may be part of what you're seeing. So she said to, to kind of minimize that, you actually keep some of the oxalates in your diet. So I thought that was fantastic because I immediately chose to keep dark chocolate in my diet. Uh, dark chocolate's really high in oxalates. <laughs> but I, I've tried to minimize all the other forms of, of oxalates. And one of them we have to be careful of. In the keto world um, and, you know, carnivore-ish, we tend to lean pretty heavy on almonds. Almonds, almond flour, all the almond flour products, which are great because they're not grain-free, or they are grain-free, but almonds are high in oxalates. So you've got to watch that. Um, but So I would, I would take a look at your diet. You know, things like dark leafy greens are high in oxalates. Beets are high in oxalates. A lot of nuts. Um, dark chocolate. There, there are a lot of plant foods high in oxalates. So I, I would just look at your diet and, and cut them. You know, if you were able to look at your, you know, your oxalate load, I would say cut it by 75% would be kind of a rough goal we'd be shooting for. And, and that may be the source of your pain. Okay. All right. I will look at that for sure. There you go. And, and uh, like I said, for the short-term pain, get some Intenzyme Forte. Um, and that's a good supplement to keep around. Uh, I know everybody's going to the store now to buy mushroom stuff. Um, and you know what's going to piss me off, Lauren? 
What's that? If we run out of the chill cacao again, I'm going to be pissed. I, I had to go two weeks without it because <laughs> I talked about it and you everybody went to the, I know I happen. went to the store. Lisa won't let me. She's like a guard dog down oh. there at the warehouse. No, you're not taking two boxes. We have customers that want it. So well, I have to tell you that that is one of the, the number one that I do recommend. I know who, it's really you know, good. For, yeah. So, you you might want to grab an extra box. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, yeah. Ha! Huh, so um, that would also be a good time. I almost lost my thought there. While you're in there buying all the awesome mushroom products, uh, it would be a great time to pick up an Intenzyme Forte. It's just one of those things you can keep around. It you know you roll your ankle or you know you bump something and you've got some pain. It, it really works well. Yeah, and Tenzai Forte is really great. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, hmm. I'm going to go to another call. I, I was reading something there. I just got a message, and that was interesting. But uh, we're going to go to a call. We're going to go to South Carolina this time. Terrence, welcome to the program. How's it going, Kevin? How's it going, Lauren? Real quick thing, Kev. This is no <laughs> disrespect to you at all, but you got to keep asking this question. Just listening to that last guy when he said, I'm kind of clean. <laughs> I've been listening, but I, I, can't, I don't know, Kev. I started listening to you when you were on at night. I really went diehard when you went during the day. But I hear everybody that calls in. Now, you know me. I've been calling a lot. When I, when I go off and I eat, Pasta or something, <laughs> I need, I feel it. Yeah. If I have if I have a, a binge on a weekend drink a bit, you feel it. Yeah. I just what I would like to ask for everybody out there who calls in is to be honest. Be first of all, be honest with your damn self, because <laughs> you're going to get more out of it when you're honest with yourself. Right. I, and I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not making saying anyone's. You know, trust me. I'm not trying to be that way. But be honest with Kevin because. If you're trying to get an answer from, if they're trying to get an answer from you, the only way to get, a, I don't know, I shouldn't say the right answer or the correct answer or something with guidance to help you is by being truthful. Yeah. So saying kind of clean, if you're eating goddamn bread, <laughs> say I'm eating bread. Yeah. I, I, I know it, I sound frustrated. I'm not like this. No, it's, it's, I, it, I just, I just, it's I just wanted, I, I would love for everybody else to reap the benefits that I have from it. You know what I mean? And, to, and like I said, that was the hardest thing. You, 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 this is what I did. I ate this. I did, I did. No, if you're eating the shit, say it. Cause that's the only way to help with the right diagnosis. Or we shouldn't say diagnosis because you're not a medical doctor. It, it, yeah, well, you know what I mean. It's, it's yeah. just, you got to be honest. You're right, and and Lauren, um, wouldn't it be awesome if every time we took a call on the air, we had all of the same information you have when you do a discovery call? Oh, it would be super helpful. We could yeah. eliminate a bunch of things, or we could just get straight to the point. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 and it would yeah, be that's... it would be very effective if I had all that information in front of me. Somebody's food journal and what drugs are they on and what supplements are they taking. But think about it: if I tried to question everybody about that, every call would take me a half hour. Yeah, it would be epic. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. Uh, it, oh, it, absolutely, it, absolutely. When people call, the more information you give us, the better advice we can give you right 
Yep. And again, the biggest thing is being, being don't waste everybody else's time <laughs> by saying, well, I'm kind. Again, I'm not hitting at that one guy. Just say, hey, man, I went yeah. and had a Subway sandwich with, you know, quote, seven, seven grain bread, but you still ate wheat. Right. Still, and, you know what I mean? You know, and I, I, I might, you know, come down a little hard on people once in a while when they do that, but I'm not going to send out a hit squad or anything. You know what? We're not going to assassinate no, you. Again. Just be honest. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, the other thing uh, about the Rishi. Now, when you first started talking about that, see, anyway, let me start over. I've been using the, the mushroom cacao in my uh, NDK coffee for years. That's how I started because I started buying the, 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 the um, scoops of uh, cacao. And I'm like, well, this is good. And all of a sudden, then I start, I had the oxalate build up. I'm like, well, I got to cut back on this. Right. And then I was like, I'm missing something in the coffee. So I've got, I got the, the cacao. I, that goes in my coffee every morning. That, the brain octane, the, the light balance, you know, and butter, whatever. That's it. Yeah. But now with the Rishi, so you had talked about this a while ago. I start, I bought some from Amazon. Again, I'm going to be honest. That, right. God had started using it. You guys finally got it in. And then, then the Elixir. So now you were talk, started talking about the Elixir. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, waiting. I went and ordered it from Amazon again. The two of them together. Now, again, it goes back to what you were just talking about with sleep. Amazing. I, again, I'm just like you in my sleep. I, get, I go maybe four, four hours, five hours. I try to get six to seven. On the weekends, I'll, you know, I, 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 I don't wake up to an alarm. I get up when I get up. But my deep sleep is amazing, and the REM sleep yeah. is, is picked up. Yep. But the biggest thing about it, like I said, I told you this once before, was the dreams you have. I mean, I don't, it's like, oh, it's yeah. vivid, and like, and like, I can wake up in the morning and be like, yeah, yeah, this is what happened, you know, right. Boom, like it was, like I was, yeah. I, like I did it. Yeah, I think that's a good sign. But like, again, it's doing I, I now am a believer in that when we have good, healthy sleep, we have vivid dreams. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's the thing, so. too, with that, like I said, you know what's funny, too, is like, again, I got the, the X3 bar. I've been doing it from the holidays. I, I've been just slacking. I, like I said, I ate, ate bad, ate yeah, right. stuff I shouldn't eat. Right. And I just started doing it. So now, last week, my, my stress levels were high. I was up around 40, and I never was that high. I just was my body battery wiping out. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start doing the, the, the X3 bar. I used to do it at night when I got home from work. Right. So now you know, I started this week. I started doing it in the morning. Okay. So I get up at, like, generally from anywhere from 3 o'clock till 4.30. So I got up 15 minutes earlier, which it doesn't – you only need 10. Yeah. And what is different in that, Kevin? Now, I used to come home after driving all day, you know, work, and, and not that it's so stressful, but I, this was like, oh, I got to go crunk and bang this out. Right. I get up in the morning, I get right, and I jump right into it. I noticed my sleep change from that in like one day, from doing it in the morning versus doing it yeah. before I, you know, yep. two hours before I go to sleep. Yeah. So, and I remember you, would, you had mentioned something about that, but I was like, because everybody's different. Everybody's body is different, you know? Yeah. No, it was actually, uh, it was Danielle that identified that with me and said I should work on my physical protocols earlier in the day. That I should make sure I'm not doing them after, okay. I think, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and she was spot on with that. It, it did make a difference. The other thing about these physical protocols, it, 
I can measure the differences in somebody within 48 hours. You do the protocol one time, I can measure a difference. Right, yeah. I mean, that's why these four like my, ended my, up my, my, my. As, as the protocol. I tested dozens and dozens of things, and, and plenty of them worked. They had an impact, you know, meditating and mindfulness. And But these four are the real powerhouses. When you do these, we see results within days. Yeah, see, I haven't been doing the um, cold treatment. I haven't been doing the, uh, the, the sauna blanket, but what I... My, like the last weekend, I sat on the couch. I, Saturday or Sunday, I didn't do a damn thing. I sat on the couch, watched a bunch of crap on TV, and my and my my HRV was down to unbalanced, down to like forty nine, forty seven. And I I started Monday working out in the morning, and I'm up to fifty two already. Within that's what I mean. Three yeah. days. A HRV, one of the most important so, measures of our overall fitness and health, and you can impact it. We can measure it in hours, the impact. That's how powerful this is. Yep. All right, I hope I didn't piss anybody off, but just like I said, everyone's oh, hey. got to be honest, man. Just this hey. way you get it. You didn't piss me off, and I totally understand this, but you're, you're, it's also time now. We have both of those products in the store now. <laughs> Stop. All right, Jeff, I got you. Jeff Bezos no has part. enough money. I hear you, man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big supporter. You I can look you back are. on that. I no, know you are. Trust me. Like I said, the minute you, the minute you talked about it, I was like, I got to get this. Like, I know. And I, he, he could ask uh, uh, Andy. I called. I said, when did you go? Well, it's supposed to be like two weeks. And I'm like, ah. Right. Like, I couldn't wait. So. Yeah. But, that's all right. All right, Kevin. I appreciate it. Thank all you. All right. Talk to you soon. Uh, don't you love that, Lauren, when people do this stuff and it works and you yes. hear the excitement and the enthusiasm and it's pretty incredible. It really is. It's, it's why we do what we do. Yep, it sure is. Uh, let's see if I have anything else. I think I've pretty much covered everything I had on my list. Uh, what do you have going on today? Uh, well, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, we have a Facebook Live on Let's Chuck Tribe. That's the Facebook group. And we're going to be talking about fats today. I have... Yes, we're going to be talking about fats today. Good fats, bad fats, why fats are important. Knowing your fats, basically, is what we're going to cover today. I still get people that write that they're eating margarine and you know they're 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 holding off on the amount of fats they're eating in their diet and this and that so I thought let's just cover the basics on fats again and you know basic you know the basics on fats are basically you know basically what I said and then I have some questions that came in that don't have to do with fats but we will cover those as well and that's at three o'clock three o'clock eastern time on Facebook, let truck tribe. Excellent. Excellent. Mouthful to say that. I, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, now try to say it three times real fast. No way. Okay. <laughs> One's enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, I did find an article that I had bookmarked and I wanted to talk to uh, Dr. Davis about it and I forgot it. Um, 
You know how I feel about the whole opioid crisis and fentanyl, something I've been watching for actually a couple decades now. It's it's criminal. Um, I know people personally who have lost children to this. Uh, It is horrendous. It was caused by the pharmaceutical industry. Um, Fentanyl is the big problem now. Um, fentanyl is cheap and powerful and they're putting it. I I heard something the other day that just blew me away. You know, I've talked about this in the past. I'm pretty casual about drugs. I've talked about it. I've experimented with drugs most of my life. I've tried lots and lots of street drugs and, uh, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it. I've never been addicted to anything. Um, I, I read about it. I'm fascinated by it. Fentanyl is, is just horrendous. And the fentanyl crisis is horrendous. And fentanyl is now being mixed into all kinds of other street drugs. So it's not a matter of, well, I'm going to go out and get fentanyl and people are overdosing. Um, college kids are going online and, and getting, uh, um, an ADHD drug, like Adderall, like an Adderall, or yeah. there are a couple of them, and they really do help you study. I mean, I, I've taken Adderall and I've taken I these know. ADHD drugs. They are incredible at what they do short term for your brain. Now you can't take them long term. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of horrible side effects, but short term for a test or it, it is pretty incredible. Now these kids are going online in ordering a, you know, an Adderall and they take it and die because it's got fentanyl in it. And it takes two grains of fentanyl to kill somebody who doesn't have a tolerance. That's two grains of salt. That's, that's the amount of fentanyl we're talking about here. If you have no tolerance for fentanyl, two grains will kill you. And they're, they're getting it in just, that's not an overdose. That's an intentional poisoning. I heard the other day, I don't even know how they do this. There is now fentanyl being found in cannabis coming off the streets. How do they do that? What? I know. Now, here's wow, something. Wow, they must be dusting I, it. I guess so. Like that. Uh, here's something that's crazy. Oh, my god! It is physically impossible to overdose on cannabis. Can't be done. Not even with, you know, now yeah. we're, we're, you know, there's all these stories about kids eating edibles. And that is horrendous. There's no doubt. That, that, that should not happen. Parents have got to be very, very careful with this. But it happens. They end up in the emergency room. They live. Nobody dies from this. You, you can't, no matter how concentrated that is, and no matter how much of it ingests, you can't die. There is no mechanism for cannabis to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. fentanyl though like I said two grains so now you you've, we've taken this drug that you couldn't overdose on it no matter how hard you try it now you could overdose on it in a heartbeat yeah literally so <laughs> clearly you know you just should not be buying drugs off the street of any kind now the good news is you know in most places you can at least get cannabis at a dispensary you wouldn't have to worry about this but street drugs right now it's what a what a crazy time. Well, you want to know what's really crazy and what is just going to make me insane? What's that? Um, the pharmaceutical companies are developing mm-hmm. a vaccine, a new vaccine. Oh, Guess what it's yeah. for? That's right. 
Fentanyl overdose. Yes. <laughs> yes, they're actually the, the pharmaceutical companies, the one that got rich selling us the fentanyl in the first place or the opioids that, that got everybody hooked, the Oxycontins and the Percocets and all the other stuff. Now they, they made a gazillion dollars oh. off of making people addicts. Now they get to make a bunch more money off of giving them a vaccine. Wow. You can't even make this up. Uh, isn't it? Uh, you're right. You can't make it up. It, this is just no, insanity. absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I know. Oh. Unbelievable. All right. It, let's, it's uh, just, it is. Let, let's grab a call. I, I was about to end the show, but another call just popped in, so we'll take it. Uh, Bob in Kansas, welcome. Hey, Kevin. I just had a quick question because it came up a couple of times. You mentioned it the other day, and it was about adrenal fatigue. And I was just, can you talk about it and what is it and how do you know if you have it or not? I've been doing keto for like three years and then carnivore for another two. And I, I've been pretty strict to the diet. And I, I'm just curious, you know, how do you know if, you, if, if you're suffering from it or not? I don't. I, I yeah, so. Because I watched it, a video. Go ahead. I watched a video where, you know, you were talking about vegans earlier, and he was talking about, uh, he was a vegan, this person who was making the video, and he was talking about, you know, people who are doing the keto diet having this adrenal fatigue, and you brought it up the other day, and I, I totally disagreed with the, uh, with the video and his premise for it, but one other thing he mentioned as, and this is just kind of an aside, but he talked about, uh, what is it, uh, insulin resistance as a construct. And I was just curious, what did he mean by that? I have no idea. Didn't he explain it? Okay. No, he just kept, he, he was debunking another video uh, about insulin resistance. And he said, hey, insulin resistance is not a problem. Or he, he was like describing it as not a real thing. Oh, no, it's an absolutely real thing. No, no. I know it is, but I I just didn't understand that term. Yeah, I I don't understand how he's using that term. That term's not making sense to me. But if his explanation of what he's trying to convey is that it's not a real thing, he couldn't be more wrong. It is at the core of all of our health problems. And I, I, I totally understand that, but I just didn't understand the term construct I, and how he, what he, he meant by it. But. I don't think he knows what he means by it. I think he's just using some word to try, try to impress somebody, but his theory is completely 100% wrong. So he uses all the big words he wants. Okay. He's just wrong. And he couldn't be more wrong. And to go down that path of thinking insulin resistance doesn't exist, you will not solve any of our health problems if you believe that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I just was wondering how, you know, I mean, I'm just a truck driver. And I I just, I was wondering what that exactly meant or how he was using that. It doesn't make sense. Is he saying that it's like a myth? Or is it it's just bullshit that, that it, you know, it, all these people are not actually suffering from insulin resistance? Well, I, it sounds like what he's trying to say. Right. But he's, he's, he couldn't be more wrong. Like I said, it, 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 that, that is the core of almost everything we talk about in health now. 
everything now, including mental health. We're learning more and more that this is all about metabolism, and metabolism is driven by insulin. It's our master hormone. So, yeah, it, 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 that, that person is so far off track. Uh, you know, there are lots of things we could debate. In fact, I'll go back to one of the first things that person said in the video and actually agree with them. We do see people suffer more from adrenal fatigue when they're on a really healthy diet sometimes. And I can explain it. Now, the first thing I want to say is adrenal fatigue is a term we use and it's a misnomer. It's not an accurate description of what's happening, but people use it. And most people understand what it is we're talking about when we say this, what we're really talking about adrenal fatigue um, could be described several other ways. Um, you, you hardly ever hear this term anymore. It used to be really common in like the sixties and seventies, um, a nervous breakdown. Did you ever hear that? Somebody had a nervous breakdown. Yeah. People used to end up in the hospital for this. They, they'd end up in, you know, the hospital for two weeks resting because they had a breakdown, a mental breakdown, a nervous breakdown. That, that's really what we're talking about here. Your nervous system, which the adrenals are part of, they're a, an integral part of it. I guess that's why we call it adrenal fatigue. We've just pushed your nervous system to the limit. We've broken it. That's what adrenal fatigue is. And like I say, the term isn't an exact description of what's happening, but we have, I'll make it even a little more clear. We have spent way too much time in the fight or flight mode and not enough time in the rest and digest mode. And when we're in the fight or flight mode, our body releases a cascade of chemicals, our blood sugar goes up, all kinds of negative things happen. It's a very powerful response, fight or flight, because it's designed to keep us alive in an emergency. It's powerful. We can't live in that mode. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people in our modern society are doing. The diet is stressing them out. That's the first thing. Their, their whole nervous system is under attack just from the diet alone. Then our lifestyle, being in a car in traffic you know, you're not in an immediate danger of dying, but for some reason your body thinks you are. It, it goes into the fight or flight mode. And if you spend too much time in fight or flight, you will end up with adrenal fatigue. That, that's really what's happening. We are wearing out the mechanism. We're flooding our body with so many of these powerful chemicals all day long. And there are negative health consequences to these chemicals. So the whole stress protocol is designed to do two things. One, it's designed to strengthen our stress muscles so that even if we're in the fight or flight mode, we're not being as negatively impacted. We've strengthened our defenses against that. And then the other thing it's designed to do is get us out of the fight or flight mode as often as possible. And when we do that, when we can strengthen our stress muscles so it can handle this better, just like if I asked you to bench press 300 pounds six times right now, could you do it? No. 
your muscles would fatigue or fail, or they just might not be strong enough at all to even get the 300 pounds off the uprights, right? Right. But yeah. could we could we design a workout for you that someday you would be able to lift that? Yeah. That, that's The stress protocol is designed to do two things. One, build your stress muscle so you can lift that weight over and over and over and not be torn down by it. And two, keep us out of that mode as often as possible so we're not wearing out those mechanisms and flooding our body with chemicals. Does that all make sense? Okay. So working on your adrenals is just doing the protocol, breathing, cold therapy, sauna, that kind of thing. That's going to keep all that in check. And stuff. That, those, those are all designed to strengthen our stress muscle. That's one part of it. The adaptogens are designed to keep us in balance and keep us out of that fight or flight mode all the time. That's why these two things together are working. We're addressing both okay. of the issues around stress and adrenal fatigue. Hey, I would like to agree with the first caller. You know, I hear callers call in all the time and they are, they have these complaints or they got these problems and they're going to the doctor and they're, and the diet isn't working exactly the way they want. And, and I, I got My wife is a number one example of this. And, you know, she says, oh, I'm doing the diet. I'm doing the diet with my husband and stuff. But she, and I love her, and she's a great person, but she doesn't do the diet. She doesn't. <laughs> she is not strict. I watch her, and these things slip into her mouth. And, you know, I'm like, I hate when that happens. you completely out. Walking around and something you know, just falls into my mouth. Drinks. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the co morning coffee thing, every morning, she says what she's going to do all day, but every morning her coffee has stuff in it. You know, it's not, you're not going to start, you know, you're not going to you know. start your day by throwing yourself We're... completely out. But, but she doesn't even notice it. And I think guys like that guy who called in earlier, they don't even notice these things are you know, falling into them. And they're like, I didn't even know. You know, here's what we're trying to overcome. I, I, I don't know how we ever became so stupid but somehow we did. I, I think that we've been brainwashed over time. Um, we, as a society, we are at a point where we really don't think that the stuff we put in our mouth has any real impact on anything. Uh, that, that's re we've been brainwashed into that. We really don't believe that what we put in our mouth really has any impact. And part of the problem is we've been told for years and years, eat like this and that problem will go away. And it doesn't. It actually gets worse. We've been told, well, if you, if you eat fewer calories and burn more off, you'll lose weight. Nobody ever tells anybody when you stop doing that, it's all going to come back and it's going to be worse. And if you do it multiple times, it's going to get worse and worse every time. And people keep experiencing this. No, I was told if I did this, I would lose weight and I would be healthy. And they're not. It's not working. So then we just fall back on, well, nothing must work. So why, why should I bother with what I eat? Doctors never ask people what they eat. Doctors never ask people about their diet. And when you've, you've lived your whole life like this, then you start to think that, oh, it can't matter if I eat that one slice of bread. But it does matter. It absolutely matters. 
You know, the guest earlier was talking about the surgery, the where they cut the stomach and shorten it up, yeah. and they stop people from eating. Well, the, their bodies, they're craving something. It's missing something in their diet. It's missing the everything in their diet. And get so, I know, but they're, they're, their body is craving so much because it's trying to find that nutrient yes. that it needs. And, and then you cut it, the stomach <laughs> and make right. the, the stomach smaller, and they can't shove anything in there. And, and they're just eating terribly. And we also not know anything in their stomach. We also know that not only are they they limited to eating very small amounts of food, so it's going to be hard to get the right nutrition. They're counseled to continue eating the wrong food, so they're not going to get their nutrition there. And the surgery itself blocks the absorption of those the little bit of nutrients we might be getting in the diet. This these kind of surgeries should be outlawed. They only have about a 5% success rate anyway. Yep. Yeah. They should just be outlawed. Have a good day, Kevin. You're welcome. Have a great day. Um, Lauren, doesn't that just kind of make you crazy? Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And now we're going to allow them to do this to 13-year-olds. I know. Not allow it. Actually, doctors are now told to recommend it. I just don't know how we can, we, we just can't help people like that is the frustrating part. So when they realize that that doesn't work for their health then they come to us when they, you know, when they feel like they've exhausted all their other options and there's not really much we can do at that point. I mean, you know, I just had this thought and, and this is so, so bad, but I just think about, Think about a fat 13-year-old right now. And what are we going to do? We're going to vaccinate him and cut out his stomach. Mm. That kid doesn't have a chance at health. And they don't know any better. No, they don't. They have nowhere to turn. No, they don't. Their doctor's telling them that. I know. Everyone trusts their doctor. I know. So now we're going to give them a vaccine that we have no idea what kind of dangers it might have long-term. We know the dangers short-term, and they're not good. Um, So we're going to vaccinate these kids, and then we're going to give them drugs and surgery because they're fat. You know, one of the celebrities that started the Wagovi thing before it became popular. I don't remember her name and I don't follow celebrities, Mm -hmm. but I read the story. Um, She started it long before anybody was talking about it. I don't know how she came across it. And um, so she got her doctor to prescribe her Wagovi and she lost a bunch of weight and she quit Mm -hmm. and she gained even more back. And she said, it's destroyed her health. Uh, and now well, we have a whole bunch of people starting to it. realize it. Yeah. Yeah. Except now yeah. she's clearly obese. I mean, she's really obese. She, she's not in good shape right now. Uh, I don't know what she looked like before. You know what, what she's been through. I, like I said, I don't know her, but I read enough of the story to know that uh, this is a, I, I mean, what do these people think? Do they think they're going to be on this drug the rest of their life? It's a thousand dollars a month. No, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah, just just awful. Uh, I think that's probably going to do it today. Anything else you want to mention? 
No, not today. I think that pretty much covers it. Just um, if you are interested in what we have to say about bats or listening on to into someone's question from the tribe, then go ahead and meet us at Facebook at 3 p.m. Eastern time. I hope to see you there. Excellent. All right. We will see you back here tomorrow. We'll do Destination Health again next week. Who do we have? I think we have guests coming up every week for a while now. Do you, do you know who we have next week? I think we do. I want to say it's Joel. Is it next? Is Joel next week? Let me take a quick look. Joel Salatin? Yeah. I know I just saw his yeah. booking come across. Yep, Joel Salatin. Oh, good. Good. That's next week. All right. Great. Excellent. All right. Yeah, we've got some great guests, a lot of returning guests. Uh, which I'm excited about. Um, I think we've got Ben Tapper coming back. We've got Joel Salatin. I, we have a lot of people. Um, Nora Gedgaudis. A um, lot of guests coming up. So that should be exciting. All right. We're going to wrap this up and get out of here. We'll see you back. Oh, you know what? Randy just snuck in. So we're going to take Randy's call in West Virginia. Randy, what's up? Well, I sneak in all the time, don't I? That's right. Hey, uh, I've been doing this keto diet you told me about. And I talked to Lauren and had a one-on-one and been doing what she told me. Okay. I've lost 15 pounds, and I want to quit losing weight. How do I do it? You want to quit losing weight? <laughs> yeah, I'm right down to where I want to be. Um, I wanna, I'm, I'm still overweight. I'm still overweight, but I don't want to get any skinnier. Okay. Um Wow. This is a tough Your one. Your body should now, regulate itself. Well, I, I was going to say that until he said I'm still overweight. So this is kind of an interesting oh. little conundrum. If you are still <laughs> yeah. losing weight and you don't want to, but you still, you know, I, I tried to tell people, and this isn't exact because there were people who were fatties in high school, but for the most part, especially people our age you know, kind of my generation, most of us, when we graduated high school, we were pretty close to a normal weight. That, that was fairly common. So one of the guidelines we tell people, you know, you should be able to get back to your high school weight when you do this. And as long as you weren't obese in high school, that would be a good goal. And once you get there, it kind of self-regulates on its own. Now, I have told people you, it's, it's very common that you overshoot your mark. Like I wanted, my goal was to get down to 150. I thought that would have been my ideal weight. Um, I overshot it. I ended up in the 130s. And then I just added some carbohydrates back in, like some white rice, a banana once a day, things like that. Um, brought me right back up to about 150. I'm fine. That, that's a good normal weight for me. Um, but if, if you want to stop losing weight when you're eating keto or carnivore and you're still overweight... It, it, pro it won't. If you keep eating like this, you're going to keep losing weight until you get down to probably about that 15 to 20 percent body fat, as it seems where people settle in, which I think is a good, healthy place to be. I, the only advice I have is, is just add more good carbs back in. If you want to slow down the weight loss, eat some white rice once in a while, a white potato, a, you know, a piece of fruit once a day. You know, keep it good, healthy food. But just add some more carbs back in, and that will slow down the weight loss. 
Okay, I done lost 15 pounds in a little over a month. Perfect. And I, 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 well, I know if I get too much more, my face is going to, I just look terrible because I'm 75 years old. And I don't. I look better with a little bit of weight on it. Yeah, add some add some carbs back in. White rice is one I like. You know, white rice is easy. Okay. It's um, you know one of the dishes that you know that I'll eat like for lunch is whatever cooked protein I had yesterday. I had some beef short ribs that I did in the pressure cooker. They were nice and tender and shredded and falling apart. And, you know, I put those in a bowl. I top it with some kimchi or some sort of fermented food, and I just eat it. And that's lunch. You know, the meat and the fermented vegetable. It's the fermented carnivore. Um, But then once or twice a week even, um, and I can tolerate it, I know I can, I'll make a rice bowl. So I'll make some white rice. I like jasmine rice. Then I'll put the meat on top and then the fermented, and I'll eat it like that. I'm just adding some starch, and I'll do that once or twice a week. And um, that's one way you could use that strategy to kind of moderate your carb level or throw in a piece of fruit. You know, pick your favorite fruit and eat it once a day. Okay. Or a little bit of both. I mean, I actually do a little bit of both. Well, that's a good idea. I got down to 190 about 12 years ago, and I, I got a picture of me and my granddaughter, and I just looked terrible. Well, and now let, let me get, let, let me address that, though, because I had a feeling 12 years ago you did it by calibre, calorie deprivation, right? You just ate less. I did it on Weight Watchers. Uh, yeah, Weight, it, Watchers. Weight Watchers is absolutely calorie deprivation. Yes, eat less, move more. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You, you would be surprised. Well, here's another example of this. Lauren, have you ever seen a vegan who actually looks healthy? No, definitely not. They don't look healthy. You can see it. They're, they're pale. Their skin is sallow. They get skinny in a different way. I don't even know how to describe this. Well, no, I can describe it. Vegans lose their muscle tone. So not only are they, 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 don't they sometimes look skinny and flabby at the same time? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, (laughs) I do know what you mean. (laughs) Well, I I didn't have any muscle when I did that. You're right. Right. That's what makes you look like a concentration camp survivor. When you cut calories to lose weight, you lose muscle tone, your skin is sallow, and and it doesn't have any good healthy color to it. So, yes, when you lose weight incorrectly, like vegans, most vegans are skinny, they're just not healthy looking. They lose all their muscle tone. And you eat, you know, mostly carnivore, and you won't lose that muscle tone. And your skin will look healthy. So you you may want to just try doing, just keep doing what you're doing and let's see what happens. Worst case scenario, you get too skinny. We, we can fix that in a week. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'll do that. I really will. Cause yeah, try I that. Because my friends thought I had cancer or something. I mean, I, I no, I die. get it. I, I've seen a lot of people when they lose weight, they look like that. It's awful. But that we don't, oh, yeah. we don't tend to see that with carnivores. Well, I'll, I'll do that. I'll get down. Okay. Gosh, this, sure, this call was worth a day, I'll tell you that. Good. Good. Let's give that a shot and see what I really, happens. I really appreciate the call. You're welcome. Okay, Thanks buddy, for the I call. Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting, Lauren, to compare a bunch of people who lost weight with the old calories in, calories out? We have to starve ourselves. 
uh, compare them to people who are eating carnivore that get to eat all they want and still lose weight. I have a feeling the carnivores are going to exactly. look a whole lot better. Yeah, I, I can put money on it. <laughs> you know, one of the things I've noticed, and again, another interesting observation from all this testing and biohacking I've been doing, um, I was doing the X3 bar pretty intensely on and off. And now I've been off of it for a while. And I've done this my whole life. I mean, I started lifting weights when I was like 13 because I was so small and I wanted to be in sports. And I've been on and off with resistance training my whole life. I, one of my first businesses was a gym. I have started and stopped resistance training probably a hundred times in my lifetime. And when you stop, your muscle shrinks. It happens. It happens within days. You can start to notice it. And it's just a pretty clear pattern. And then you go back to resistance training, you feel the muscle get bigger and stronger. I mean, you can measure it even. For some reason, and, and I've done it on keto and the results were the same. I stopped the resistance training, the muscle starts to shrink. I can see it. For some reason, now that I'm more carnivore than keto, so I've kind of switched to my macro, still plenty of fat in my diet but more protein than usual. I almost hate to say this because I hate promoting protein. Everybody's promoting protein and I don't really want to do that. But I will say that because I switched from keto to more carnivore, so slightly less fat, slightly more protein, it doesn't feel like I'm losing the muscle tone this time. I was just thinking about this the other day. I, I was... I was working out and um, not really working out, but I, I was sweating from the sauna and then I went into the shower and I was like, you know, it's been a long time since I've done the resistance training and yet I don't feel like I'm losing the muscle tone or the muscle size this time. Interesting. I know. And we do know that's what protein's for. It is the building block for just about everything. But I, again, I hesitate to talk too much about that because I don't want people running out and doing protein smoothies and protein shakes and protein bars and protein supplements and just eat more meat. That's all we need to do. We do not need to supplement protein. When I say ate more protein, I meant it. I just ate more protein. There was no supplementation of any kind. Mm -hmm. protein supplements make no okay. sense to me whatsoever, unless you're doing something specific like collagen. You know, collagen is technically a protein supplement, very high in protein, but we're, we're going after the collagen in this case, not the protein. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. All right. We are going to wrap this one up this time. We are all out of time anyway. We're right at 11 o'clock today. Um, Lauren, thanks as always. And, uh, don't forget, Thank join you. Lauren today, 3 o'clock on Facebook. That's Eastern Time, and we will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.